Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall just for This is the final word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. The final edition of the final word before I put Jeff on a plane in a couple of hours. You're off to Heathrow. You've been here for four months. You started the summer a week before the World Cup began. We've now finished the fifth Ashes Test match. There was 10 days of women's Ashes action between times. Before we get into a few different topics and get into the business of the show, (laughs) how are you feeling on your last day in the UK? Uh, it's, It's sort of end of school, isn't it? But there's that unreal feeling when something's actually over. It's actually mm. over, you know. I mean, I've got things to write and, and um, retrospectives to write and so on. So the the work continues for a while, but um, I'm going home. I get to go home. It's four months. Yeah, it's four kind months of into end. It, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because now I kind of consider, you know, my home is always going to be Melbourne, but yeah. the place I've lived for a while now is the UK and London. It's a. It, I feel a bit sad that everyone's leaving. Well, not everyone, of course. My UK colleagues will remain here, and I'm going on holiday myself tomorrow. But the idea that you're leaving and uh, and others who we've worked with along the way across the four months, it's it is a sad time, but also one where we get a chance to reflect on a summer that the chances are we'll never get to experience anything quite like this again. I mean, it's one thing to cover a World Cup or a global mm. tournament or an Ashes campaign or a long test series but to have it all happen and sequence the way that it did the amazing finish to the World Cup the, you know the Headingley test match the, the fact that Australia managed to win here or retain the Ashes here for the first time in 18 years so a, a piece of history as well like we've been pretty yeah. lucky yeah we've been very lucky the the World Cup and Ashes in the same summer, I don't think will happen again. The, you know, they went to schedule gymnastics to avoid it in 2015 and mm-hmm. for some reason didn't in 2019. But I'm not sure that you know e- either side would really want to do the back-to-back again um, as opposed to having a more low-key sort of 
series after a World Cup. In, in some ways, England didn't get to really soak up their World Cup win as much as they would have otherwise, given that they went straight on into the, the biggest test contest they have. Yeah, we'll come back to England in a sec. Before we move on, I'll just note that we've got two guests on the show today. One is Cam Fink, who's been such a massive part of our summer, Jeff, in the last seven weeks during the Ashes campaign. He's been our videographer, but a lot more than that. So we're going to tell uh, an interesting story, as we like to do on The Final Word, about mm-hmm. your first adventure together on a cricket tour. My first cricket tour in 2013. Cricket, back when yeah. it all began, when Mickey Arthur got sacked, <laughs> Buff Lehman got installed, David Warner got sent to Zimbabwe to get into fights with <laughs> South Africa A players um, and get kicked out of the nets by Greg Chappell and uh, and I was on tour for the first time we, Cam and I went, our first day of professional cricket coverage was Trent Bridge when Ashton Agar cut sick and made the 98 and we were in the overflow press box um, I think Tanya Aldred was there, I think Andrew Miller was getting kicked out by the ECB for yep. something to do with um, Test Match Sofa which our other guest has a, a, a bit of a link yeah. to yeah. and and I was like this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, the agar the, the internet's going wild, everyone in Australia is watching and I was like we're here, we get to watch this and that's what the last six or seven years has been So like. we'll, we'll tell Cam's crazy story it'll also coincide with us telling you about our new venture our YouTube page. I'll also tell you one more thing before I introduce our guest for the first half of the show and Nerd Pledge later, which is to say that our Adelaide live show is locked in. It's been booked. We can't get out of it now, Jeff. No. The 27th of November at the Ambassador Hotel in Adelaide, which is where the 1948 Australians stayed um, before they took off for that famous voyage. And it was, it's of course, well, as it's been explained to me, it still has the same carpet and mm. same wallpaper as it did in 1948. But generously, they've, they've offered it up to us as a venue for an Adelaide live show two days before the test match uh, against Pakistan. Um, we'll have a couple of special guests. Uh, the ad will be on the website by the time you hear this to go and buy yourself a ticket. We expect, based on the evidence of the last couple of these we did in, in uh, Adelaide and, and uh, not in Adelaide, rather, in Melbourne last year and in London, um, these will probably sell quite quickly. So if you want to come along on the 27th of November, um, jump on finalwordcricket.com. Jeff will have the ad up soon. And I love f- how you announce that on the podcast just to make me do it. Yeah, it's, not the first time. It's the most I've... passive-aggressive thing that you do in our relationship. <laughs> I've done it a couple of times, actually. I've said, Jeff will have this up on the website soon. And, and the reason uh, we have a second guest here today is we want to, by popular oh, demand... I've also got to say, I mean, yep. it's, it's going to be happy hour all night at the Ambassador. It is. This is great news. So we've been... The Ambassador, Matthew Clemo, who is one of our best friends and has looked after us like unbelievably in Adelaide over the last five years. Um, he's just organised it for us. Incredible. Brad Green and, and Matt Clemo have, have looked after us um, in terms mm. of staying with them. But they've gone, yeah, you know, it's under control. We've, we, it's sorted. And they've engineered it so that happy hour will run until 10pm, 6pm till 10pm on the, on the 27th. <laughs> so if you're coming over for that test match or you're thinking about coming over for that test match, just book an yeah. extra day early on and yeah. then you come and see if, us. If you're not in there for four hours of happy hour, you're actually losing money. Yes, so that's right. Make the most of the situation. Come, come, come um, to the show. And the other guest, so we've got Cam on for a chat. We're going to have a chat as well to a man you'd be well familiar with if you listen to us or watch our work or read what we do. It's Daniel Norcross from BBC Test Match Special, the man who did start Test Match Chauffeur and, and uh, was part of the reason why Andrew mm. Miller was kicked out of that press box when <laughs> you and Cam were there at Leeds in, not at Leeds, it was at Nottingham rather, yeah. in 2013. Dan, by popular demand, welcome back to The Final Word. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. We've got two things to do with you. The first thing we're going to do is do a little bit of pop puree. We haven't done it in a few weeks, Jeff. Pop puree, where we just bounce around the table 
table and go through some issues. And then after we spoke to Cam, we're going to do some Nerd Pledge because when you came on the show for Nerd Pledge back in May, people absolutely loved it. So I didn't get that many right, though, did I? Well, I mean, I right. had alternative... Alternatives. Yeah, I had alternative. Alterna- okay. Alternative facts. I'm not facts. prepared for this at all, by the way. You, you needn't be. It works <laughs> yeah. better when you're not prepared. We've learnt through right, the okay. process. So, Popure, let's begin. Jeff, we were lucky enough to sit outside in the Overflow press box at yes. the Oval on Sunday night uh, and drink four crates of beer. Uh, and thanks to Dan bringing all the beers down and watch the celebrations from the other side of the ground. It's not often... The beer I do not trust. It, it was Cobra, was it? And, and the tag on the label said, World Beer. I'm like, <laughs> what is World Beer? It just sounds like really crap lager. And it was. It was warm as well. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. But, but it we didn't made, matter. We Needs made the most when the devil drives. Exactly. Yeah, after you left. But the devil shouldn't be driving. He's just had six World Beers <laughs> and the devil should be uh, in, a, in an Uber. That's Absolutely. what devils do. Mm. We did a few things, didn't we? We were, we, were, we were dancing on the desks at one point specifically. Vatushna Hantaraja was up and about. So you'll see a nice photo of that. I saw a glorious photo of him with the, with the light shining off his laptop. Yeah, I just saw the moment. The, the, the Libertines came on. He jumped on the desk and I thought this is definitely photo worthy. But on the other side of the ground, Jeff, what we got to sort of, you know, be involved with a little bit, we're, we're watching the players enter into a, a series of songs of karaoke. And, you know, you, there's a great photo doing the rounds that Danny Rubin, the England media manager, took of uh, all the players and support staff mingling and socialising after. And yeah. as he said in his caption, this is what the game's all about. And it did seem quite nice to me that they were all singing together to, to end the tour. Mm, well, what better than to sing Bonnie Tyler together, to, yeah. to patch over, uh, you know, bury the, bury the hatchet, smoke the peace pipe, sing the peace uh, total eclipse of the heart. But we were singing back to them as well. It was quite a nice moment, Dan. So they would sing a song and then we'd, we'd cue it up and we'd sing the same song back at them. Oh, like so. a sort of a, like a chorus and refrain type. Yeah, well, well, in a well, really extended you, version. Yeah, yeah the Sweet Caroline worked quite nicely for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, beautiful. I, I, well, I, I left you, didn't I, about half nine? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Unusual for you to leave early. I was but... feeling glum. Was... You get this feeling. I've, I've been with you on the last night of summer before. You, you, you have a problem with this time of year, don't you? I have a really, really big problem with it. It's because of what is to come, which is gloom, entropy, death, darkness, despair, misery, yeah. cold, wet. Um, there's nothing good about it. There's nothing to look forward to. But you made a Gosh. you made a sensible, informed decision about not having a big night, which I think is is impressive. It doesn't yeah. happen that often for you. I was proud of you. No, I had an incredibly big afternoon instead yeah. the following day. So today's <laughs> a little ropey, but um, it's wonderful to be here. The Shamor mural from 2015, which uh, a lot of our friends had a hand in um, <sighs> revealing at the time, um, Tom Cowie, Russell Jackson, Nick Tuvey. Um, that picture, Jeff, of, of the players and support staff together, that could be the new war mural and the observations made that David Warner was still sledging Jack Leach and <laughs> Paul Collingwood was involved in some alpha standoff. He was, he was doing a stare-off. A stare-off oh, with, really? some, yeah. with a member of the Australian support mm. staff and then there was a, the Australian massage therapist who looked to be getting chat, chatted up by one of the England support staff as well. If there's not a shirtless Mick Jagger in it, it, it doesn't. <laughs> and there could have been. He's always around. He's at the cricket. It wouldn't have been too hard to get him to whip the top off and jump in the shot. So that was celebration night, everyone in really good spirits. But... You've got to say, um, they're moving on to topic two, Australia have some significant challenges ahead of them in the short term, and oh, not yeah. only on the basis of playing a test series in 11 weeks from now, whatever it is, yeah. that, that's going to be tough to, you know, not just because the, the schedule is relentless, they're straight into one-day cricket in a couple of weeks at a domestic level, but also, I was writing about this yesterday, the T20 World Cup's not that far away on home soil, and, you know, we saw England invest a lot of energy to winning 
the World Cup here this year, which they were hosting. That's Australia's new mission, isn't it? The mm. Test Series is important. They've got to keep this Test side moving, but equally they've got to find a way to win that trophy for the first time. Yeah, they're playing a lot of 20-over cricket this summer and basically no 50-over cricket, just those three games against India in January. And aside from that, it's all short-form stuff. Um, and there'll be some more of that next year as well. So uh, that probably shouldn't be too difficult because those two sides are so disparate. You know, the, you're not going to find many Australian test players who would also be in the T20 side. Maybe a couple of the, the bowlers might be Sark and Cummins and Smith, you know, off the top of my head, and, and Warner if you can remember how to bat. Um, but it's interesting when you look at... When they came out of the 2015 Ashes and everybody retired and so on, there were two players in that team who were guaranteed a spot, two batsmen, and that was Smith and Warner. Yeah. And when you come out of the 2019 Ashes, there are... I mean, there's, you know, Warner, who knows? Um, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he's not playing in the home season. Um, but Smith and brackets maybe Warner are the only real locks you know Marnus will be in there you'd, you'd assume and, and Matthew Wade but they're not they're not convincing players Australia don't have an obvious top six did, did you not see Kawaja coming back in well I was going to put this to you Dan have you seen a more well a more discombobulated Australian top six and you've been watching test cricket for 40 years and there there is as Jeff points out, there's Smith and Warner, and you'd expect Labuschagne and Wade on, on the basis of form in this series. But, I mean, we're not conditioned to starting a home summer and seeing so many spots available. It, it's following a pattern, though. I mean, I've watched a lot of Test cricket in England in the last few years. India came over with a really good team. Pujara, Kohli, Rahul, Shikhar you know, loads of great batsmen. People weren't really scoring runs last year either. There was the odd Test match on a decent pitch, the oval at the end, um, Trent Bridge in the middle. Otherwise, people struggled against the Duke ball uh, and England's terrifically good bowlers and Australia had terrifically good bowlers this time and India had terrifically good bowlers last time. We've got a kind of golden age of bowling, it seems to me. But when you go to Australia, it's a very different pitch, it's a very different ball. I think it'll cover up a multitude of problems that people like Kawaja have and Warner. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to be facing anything like the deliveries they were facing in England. So as long as Australia keep their cool, I think they've got batsmen there that they were looking to groom, weren't they? Travis Head had an average in the mid-40s, you know, until he came to England and then found, like everybody else, that batting was tough. When he gets back to Australia, he'll be a lot more comfortable. I think, you know, Wade has got him some runs. And if they're looking at some point in the future to maybe leave out pain, get a different captain. There was talk at the start of the series that Travis Head was going to be the next captain of Australia. Some people were positing that. Uh, Wade could come in as a as a keeper. It could balance the Australian lineup better. You could have them an all rounder and three seamers and a spinner, which feels better for the long stints of bowling you've got to do in Australia. I think Australia are not in a bad place. I just think what we've witnessed is yet another series in English conditions where batting is devilishly hard. Yeah, so they start domestic cricket soon, Jeff, in what's now known as the Marsh Cup, much to the enjoyment of a lot of people that it's been named that. I should add on, on, on Marsh, of the Mitchell variety, now listen to the great cricketer um, segment on Mitchell Marsh and all-rounders. Sam Perry speaks eloquently and convincingly about the Mitch Marsh conundrum, if you like. But that starts soon, the 50-over competition, which we're going to see players who are in the mix for test cricket playing in that I think it's someone like Matthew Renshaw, who had quite a good 50-over tournament a couple of years ago. Joe Burns as well. That, that might very well be that having not been on this trip has ensured that their reputation has been enhanced by absence. 
or in their absence almost. Like the fact that Bancroft and Harris have struggled and Warner, he will obviously play in, in the first test match. But now you've got these guys on the outside of the squad who seem like the logical yeah, fit. Sure. Um, I guess if you're Joe Burns, you didn't get the chance to fail. Therefore... Um, you, your, your last test innings is still 180 and uh, yeah. you know who knows how he would have gone I'm sure it would have been tough going for him I, it's not like I think that Joe Burns would have come in and peeled off 400s and you know been, been the best player in the Ashes but he might have made a couple of 30s and 40s that would have been very useful at different <laughs> times where other players didn't what, What's happened to Renshaw? Because I, I was hugely yeah. impressed by him and he played a lot mm-hmm. of cricket in England as well so I was, I was quite surprised Two years in a row he's had two years in a row he's had horrendously bad runs at the wrong time and that when he would have probably came into the Test 11 in the UAE last year. It was just after a head knock. Like He's just suffered a, an appalling run of timing as much as anything and bad form at the wrong times. And he didn't blow the doors down this year at, at, when he was playing at Kent either. So he, he probably needed to do something extra special there to get onto the Australia A part of the tour to have given himself a chance to have propelled himself into that opening position ahead of Bancroft. And it just wasn't to be. Uh, we pivot to England, Dan. Anderson, Archer, Broad. Which of those three, if any, of those three will go to New Zealand for a test series which doesn't curiously have world test championship status no it's a really good question I think they would want to see if Anderson is fit uh, because of the calf the recurring calf injury and he'll have had a lot of time off so that they might want to see that they might want to give Broad a rest because they're looking at not playing Anderson and Broad perhaps together mm. I think Archer will go you may think that may raise eyebrows because of the amount of cricket they've had but actually you know, on the same subject you were talking a moment ago, there are five T20s here. The real purpose of this trip is uh, the T20 World Cup. Sure. And Joffre Archer is going to feature heavily in that T20 lineup. He's not played really T20 cricket at international level because everything's been geared around 50 overs. So I would expect him to go. Um, I would expect a, a slightly different looking side as well because England have got their own massive problems in the batting, as we saw. So I wouldn't be overly surprised if Ollie Pope goes. Uh, and they will find an excuse to rest either Johnny Bairstow and or Joss Butler mm. uh, because that whole World Cup thing you know we talked about how they looked depleted and exhausted they did actually they looked absolutely shattered by the end of the World Cup because I don't think any Englishman was prepared for success we had the idea that they might win but when the reality came uh, it took an enormous emotional uh, toll so I don't think that they're going to want to take both Bairstow and Butler I think they might also want to try to get a specialist keeper in, which they can do, because they might want to look at a, a rebalancing the side at the moment. They will probably want a, a proper wicketkeeper batsman at number seven, so Ben Folks might then come back into the equation after Man of the Series in, in Sri Lanka, if we can turn that into a verb. You can try. I can, well, you went to Oxford, you can I'm do what ge- you want. I've gerunded the crap out of that. <laughs> uh, so I think those would be the main, the main things. Um, whether Stone comes back in, I'm probably not fit enough yet. Well, could it be group. with the batting? I mean, you mentioned Pope already, but Sibley Crawley... Sibley Crawley, I think... Like, would be I feel in, like they're the next the two, don't they? But, but actually, slightly more awkwardly for them, I think they definitely would have been if it hadn't been for Denley. Because Denley looked dead and buried. He was not going to be a test cricketer again. They were just playing out the last two test matches because they didn't want to bring somebody in at the end and give them the opportunity to fail. So... Denley's career was over and then he picked up three fifties in the last two test matches, including a 94. So mm. now Denley's back in. So if Denley's going to open with Burns, they're going to want to create an opening pairing that has some kind of identity because England haven't had one since Cook and Strauss, which that kind of impacts badly on Crawley and Sibley. I'd expect them, one of them to go because you need cover for an opening position. They might even think maybe 
of Sibley at the top, Denley at three, allow Root to go down to four. But then does Root play? Do you think that Root yeah. needs to go to a two-test match series? And five T20s, he wants to play T20. But does England need Joe Root in its T20 side? I mean, I don't think so, even though, I mean, I know he's desperately keen to. What would they have done without his seven off 30 balls in the World Cup final? You just need that kind of strike yeah, power well, in the T20 side. Well, maybe they need Darren Stevens. Darren, St- what oh. are, I mean, this is probably the best story of the week, isn't Oldest it? Oldest man since 1949. 43 years old. He took 10 wickets in the game for Kent last week. I spoke to him at the media day this year, and it was very much like, oh, yes, one more season. You know, he's already the assistant coach there, I think. Comes in at 30 for five after a 10-wicket game last week and blasts 243 in 221 balls. He had, the, he had those runs made by 10 to five. He could have made 300 in a day with a leg in the air. Brad, uh, Bradman, um, Lara's 501 was under threat there, I reckon. I mean, end of the season, so, so you know, so wasn't to be, got out on oh. 243. But what an amazing tale. And it's really, it's even more amazing if you've seen him this year because his bowling has been weirdly fantastic. 68 mile per hour dobbers and no one could get away. He picked <laughs> up the first two wickets in Yorkshire's innings. Of course he did. that 230. Lithe and balanced, two test players. But his batting was getting really ropey. It was Also a, a description of a gymnast. A description of a? Gymnast. Yes. Live and balanced. Live and balanced. <laughs> I was going to say ropey. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, look, his batting was a thing that was going, falling off a cliff. He could barely buy a run at the start of the season. He was groping helplessly. He just, he was up at eight and then they were, I think they were sort of putting him down at nine and that's partly why they were thinking of getting rid of him. I mean, Kent hadn't offered him a new contract. There was talk of him maybe going to Derbyshire in the second division. But, I mean, he's got his 500th wicket, I think, in, uh, in first class cricket. He's the oldest band, as you said, to get a double hundred. Yep. I I would, I just for the hell of it, would give him one cap in T20s because I just think he deserves it. I think it's one of those things that cricket can do. Didn't they try and do that with Glenn Chappell? Uh, they did once, yeah. About 2012 or thereabouts yeah. at age, you know, after Lancaster won the comp in 2011. They're like, didn't they find a way to get him in the England side in one of the formats? I think there's room for sentiment, isn't there? Yeah, I reckon you know, there is too. Just over to New Zealand, play your one game, get a cap, then, you know. I'm mindful that most of our listeners don't care as much about the county championship as you do and indeed where I do. So let's... Um, well, let, let me tell them one let, thing then. Okay, I want to ask you one more question after this. One thing that they do need to know about the county championship is that yep. whilst I am depressed and miserable and lonely and sad and wet and cold because it's now autumn Somerset could become county champions for the very first time in their history and I remember the thrill when Queensland yeah. won the Sheffield Shield for the first time in their history uh, it is as big if not bigger a story they have been perennial bridesmaids Somerset they've never won it There'll be there'll be genuinely men, grown men and women weeping in Taunton if they manage to do could, that. Including could Marcus Truscothic play? Could he? Could, no. could is there any chance they'll say to Tresco in his final season as a professional cricketer, you can play that last game, or is he, it too much of a liability? He would say no. He would say no. I don't think he is a liability. Well, no, bro, sorry, liability is the wrong word. But, yeah, they're, but they're, 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 he's not been playing first. He's time. not been playing, and the, the way the games are currently stacked up, I mean, Somerset could very well need to win. Uh, if that happens, it'll be hugely entertaining because, again, Australian listeners may not know, but the pitch at Taunton has sometimes <laughs> been dubbed Ciderabad because Somerset's where you drink a lot of cider. And it where Jack Leach turns it square. Jack, and Jack Leach, it could be the ultimate hero's end, you know, <laughs> wonderful kind of, I say low key, there'll be about 8,000. They, they, what I've heard is that they've sold a heck of a lot of tickets for that county championship. And that'll be the 26th of September is the scheduled last day of the season. There won't be a dry eye in the house. Reasons to be cheerful. Uh, before we um, move on from the here and now, um, I'll ask you both this. Who's more likely to win win the Ashes away from home? Is it England 
in two years' time or is it Australia in four years' time? Oh, it's Australia. And I'm not just saying that to, to try and put a mockers on them. I mean, England still don't have either a bowling attack that's suitable for Australian conditions. They may have. I mean, Archer may prove to be, you know, exceptional in those conditions. We can't do it alone. So England's backup bowlers, I don't think, are good enough in Australia to sustain the pressure. And I think Australia's bowling attack is too strong. And you combine that with the fact that I, I don't yet see English batsmen who are capable of building long innings. And in Australia, you've got to bat big up front. You've got to score over 400. England don't have that in them at the moment. Now, in two years' time, maybe Ollie Pope, maybe Zach Crawley, maybe Rory Burns will have played enough test cricket. Maybe Joe Root will be back in form. But I think that once you, if you flip the tables, yep. Australia's bowlers in English conditions are a real handful. So, you know, anything can happen, but Australia is still, for my money, and I said it to you all season, Australia are not miles ahead of England, but they're just that little bit. And over the course of five test matches, the side that's a little bit better than the other one, in my view, always wins. Yeah, I don't think you can judge it on the basis of the players that are around now because players emerge quickly. You know, Joffre Archer was nowhere a year ago. He was vaguely being muttered about that he might be handy in the white ball stuff. Steve Smith in 2013 was a, a liability who was on the verge of getting dropped at the start of the 13-14 Ashes and a year, year later he was test captain. Mm. He'd made five or six hundreds by that point. So players emerge quickly, they develop quickly, they, you know, who knows, trying to predict something in four years' time is, true. is um, unrealistic. But I think on, as a generality, it's harder for English bowlers to figure out how to take wickets in Australia than it is for Australian bowlers to take wickets in England and that's really the, the fundamental issue. Yeah, except I think the one exception might be if Archer... If, if Archer progresses the, the way that he has in the last two mm. years for two more years when they get yeah. to Australia. And I guess the other thing but about... He Australia, needs a Chris Tremlett. He needs a, yeah, well, know, a, a, a sort of support bowler. Who I mean, what I'm that. trying to say, you might be buying 100 mile an hour then consistently yeah. and if that's the case, that's game change. It's potentially... Game change. It if, is. If, if, he has if, a, he, if he has a bowler or two in support. He, yeah, of course. If he of has course. Mark Wood fit next to him and Molly Stone, or even actually Stuart Broad as one of four, if you've got Stokes, Broad, Archer, Wood, that is a very serviceable attack. There's, a, there's enough pace there and there's enough control to cause problems. But they still, all of them, have got to deal with a kookaburra ball and really flat, hard decks. And that's not something that they do over and over and over again, you know? Yeah, and the Australian attack probably won't have James Pattinson here in four years' time. You wouldn't have thought his body will allow to play. Cummins um, will be there, though, won't he? Cummins, definitely. Actually, in fact, well, I guess that's probably from an Australian perspective. Cummins and Hazelwood will be here again in four years' time. If anything, they should injuries be better than permitting. what they are. Yeah, yeah. permitting, and they should be just about at the peak of their powers then. And Stark should be still floating around. And I suppose the challenge there is who do they... Who's the next generation of holding bowler? Who's the Peter Siddle in four I years' time? I like the look of Nisa in the... In yeah. the um uh, county games. I we do too. Him. Trust me, we do too. I like <laughs> so, him. He was, he was bustly. Un- unlucky not to play a test. Extremely yeah. unlucky. Um, mentioning Ben Stokes, Jeff, we've had a chance to read the disgraceful um, piece of writing which appeared in um, in the Sun this morning. We're not going to go into the deep details of that, but I mean, Ben Stokes has come out on social media and, and issued a, a forceful statement um, repudiating what's been published. And I mean, I guess the, the days like today, but as members of the industry, we need to be mindful. Um, I think that there are standards and lines and, and one's a pretty serious one's been crossed this morning by the sun, which you'd expect. And I mean, just I just wish this shit wouldn't happen. It's just really disappointing that that people 
go to those kind of lengths to find a story just because there's someone who is uh, who has a public profile. It's yeah. like, oh well, if there's if there's something um, dramatic you can attach to them, then you'll just go ahead and do it, even when there's. Uh, there's no, there's, there is no news value to it. It's pure salaciousness. It's, it's incredibly disrespectful to people's pain. You know, very, very genuine, um, life-changing pain that people have gone through. It, it's disgusting. And there are, there are times when the, you know, the players hate the media, and, and you feel a bit hard done by when, with, with their attitudes some of the time. But then things like this happen, and you think, well, it's totally understandable because, you know, we don't want to be associated with that, but from the eyes of, of a cricketer, why wouldn't we be? We're, we're, all, we're all part of that same industry. Yeah, and from Stokes' perspective, and he, and he puts this well in the statement, he's, he is a public figure, and that's one thing. His behaviour is held to one standard. Whether you agree with it or not, being a cricketer, being a public figure, he accepts that that's the case. His family have got nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with it whatsoever. As you said, Jeff, the reason why this story is in the newspaper today is because Ben Stokes has had an amazing summer. Um, Henry Moran, Rory Dallard, uh, Vidush and Ahan Taraja have all put stuff up on social media, which has one theme. Let's remember Ben Stokes' summer. Do you want to know more about Ben Stokes? Watch what he did on the field this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, this is. And a if guy you want to critique his behaviour in 2018, absolutely go for, go gold. for there's gold. A, there's a sketchy, there's a sketchy thing that happened with him in 2017, which yeah. is rightly been scrutinised and rightly been gone through. But um, that's the that's the conversation to be had about Ben Stokes, not one that has absolutely nothing to do with him. Disgraceful behaviour from a disgraceful organisation. One last thing before we go, had a message in on the Patreon page from Alison Stock. Uh, who was saying that she she enjoyed the pod, but she has to take issue with our uncritical approach to spectator behaviour. This, this was at Old Trafford where she was near the party stand and she asked, you know, are you guys insulated in the media box like Jim, Jim Maxwell and so on? Because when you're in the stand, it's not great support for England. It's, uh, as her description is, 95% of these people have no interest in the game. Um, their behaviour makes me dread my upcoming Oval experience. They're only interested in whose round it is and getting it in. Who do the ECB want to come to their tests? Uh, because you know nobody will want to bring their kids so they can be deafened by boorish, moronic, repetitive booing and tuneless shouting of obscenities for seven hours while strangers spill beer on their backs and vomit over balconies onto them. Verified fact. Uh, I must have dodged that one. But uh, basically, and I think this is a fair point, that we've when we've talked about the crowd, it's been from a distance for the most part. You know, We've been down in the crowd for bits and pieces. But it's, a, it's enjoyable in that atmosphere when you're not in the middle of it. But I do think some of the time I have spent down in the middle of it is pretty grim at times. I, I agree with everything that she said and uh, I'm as much to blame as every, anybody else because when you are in the uh, commentary boxes you are completely insulated from it all you actually get is the sort of wave of noise and what feels like participation and enthusiasm and engagement in the game and uh, at the end of that test I got a number of messages from people saying actually it was, it was hellish and in England and uh, similar things do happen in Australia but in England we have this thing where uh, Teddingley and Edgebaston and Old Trafford a stand starts to behave like it thinks it ought to. So the Holly stand has got to do what Holly stands do, you know. And we called that one at Old Trafford the party stand. And it then, you know, it was it was flinging rubbish around at various points. And we just thought that was like the height of its boorishness. But the reality is, from lots of what I've heard of people who are in there, it was a hideous experience. It was no fun at all. Uh, we had, had the same thing at the Western Terrace at Headingley quite frequently. The fact is that there are places 
in the ground which have spectators who are engaged and interested and enjoy the game and they don't behave like that and I don't think we help things because we go oh look at the Holly stand aren't they hilarious look at the party stand aren't they having fun look at the western terrace people dressed up as bananas the reality of it is that you've got seven hours of these maniacs and it, it can be fairly unpleasant yeah as Johnny Lou said he liked the Holly stand before it was the Holly stand yep. and there's a bit of that look uh, I, again I share the sentiment of the reader and yep we're inoculated from a lot of it I suppose when it uh, was drilled home to me was last week before the Oval Test talking to uh, a senior member of the Australian team management and he was at me, not me personally but us as a going, why don't you understand the amount of abuse that's been heading the way of Smith and Warner and I'm like well I, I mean we kind of do don't we like we, we've reported on the booing and we've reported on you know the unsavoury conduct and he goes no no, no you, have, you guys don't understand it is unbel- like it's, it's beyond the pale and there's now that we've got over the booing story, people have stopped talking about the crowd abuse of the players. And I probably had disregarded that. I just thought that, mm-hmm. like all of us, we'd moved on and they'd moved on. And it well, was just, a, it was, a, and when the, the time I'd spent in the Western Terrace at Leeds was, was fantastic. Probably because, though, the cricket I was watching and observing from there was riveting and everyone was completely dialed into what was going on in the 22 yards well. that mattered. Well, but I mean, even when it was, it, the cricket was unbelievable, yeah. right? And the same when you went out there, Jeff. And, and so uh, it's a bit different when it's a quiet period of play or it isn't, or it's a bit scrappy and there's less yeah. to keep you occupied in the middle and, and it can get. It's yeah. also complicated by the fact that, that people cluster at cricket grounds, especially in England, and you get very different types of people engaging with the game in different ways in different parts. So at Lords, for example, there was this notion that there'd been, you know, booing of Smith at Lords. Uh, where I was in the Warner stand, there was nothing but admiration for Smith. And there was a, a genuine sense of terror when he was hit in the neck. You know, they were all fine when he was hit in the arm. That's like, you know, that's fair play. That's what you do in a game of cricket. Got hit in the neck and there was genuine gasping and concern, you know. And when he came back out to bat, there was cheering. You might argue that there shouldn't have been because you're encouraging people to do things they shouldn't do. But the cheering was coming from a sentiment of admiration and supportiveness. Uh, and yet, at the same time, we discovered that if you were sat in the lower Compton stand, yeah. you, were, you had some pretty unsavoury individuals who were engaging in a game in, in not that way at all. So, you know, it, it's not easy for reporters to gauge what's happening in all different parts of the ground unless we actually go into different parts of the ground and then yeah. report properly. Well, that was the thing. I, I remember saying at the time, I was putting on Twitter saying, because I was outside you know, on, on the balcony and I was saying, I didn't hear a single person doing it and no. I had all these angry people saying oh it was on the TV broadcast I was like, maybe it was all I'm telling you is that I couldn't hear it it wasn't obvious as a sort of whole ground sense but I don't know what was happening at the other end of the ground oh I know I, when, when, when Smith got out the second time maybe it was when he walked out the bat the second time I was sitting down the bottom of my camera and I was papping these fuckwits who were booing him um, that time um, because I thought you know I might mm. pop them on Twitter and I thought better of it in the end because it would have been probably a bit low rent on my part but there, there were definitely people booing but I think we said on the Daily Show at the time Jeff that the reason people boo is that it's a loud sound you can be one person and you know project your voice a long way that's the whole idea yeah, yeah. of a boo the so, polite applause is, is not no, exactly right. Way. So yes, there, but I mean, I have to say the yeah, we, it made a relatively loud sound beneath the Compton stand there where I was sitting at the time. But it was only a handful of people, so it was exaggerated by those who chose to exaggerate it at the time. In the same way that it was conflated with the, the Joffre Archer moment, what he did or didn't do when he hit Steve Smith, and all the rest of it, it was it was a scrappy kind of afternoon. But yeah, I think it's a good email, and it's, it's worth us keeping a check on because you know it's just not something that. You know, it, Do Australian it, grounds work like this? I mean, there's Bay 
Bay 13. Yeah, I think, well, growing up, it certainly did. I mean, I know when I grew up, when I used to go to that one-day international, first one-day of the year at the MCG each year as a teenager was exactly that. But I I reckon that that, that's not how I interpret it these days. But that's not for a heartbeat, though, to say that Australian crowds aren't equally as abusive, though. Uh, I mean, England players, Stuart Broad's talked and written about this, hasn't he, about the idea that when he's played in Australia, it's been a horrible experience sometimes, especially after what happened at, um, at uh, Nottingham in 2013 for him well, when ask, he came there. Ask any South African player who's been there in the last 20 years or yeah. two they've they've all got some horror stories. So, yeah, thanks, Alison, for writing in. I, I, I don't mind getting pulled up once in a while because I think that's something that we didn't think about and I like her point particularly where she said uh, she said if you if, if we had to pay for our airfares and accommodation and use up annual leave and family leave passes and so on and as well as buying tickets you might not be so forgiving yeah, and I think that's true. a very fair point we, very true. We, we, we get we get it really easy don't we yeah. I mean we have it, it's glorious we're surrounded by people who love the game uh, we're talking to people who know about the game we get fed we get paid um, sometimes, yeah, you can uh, lose sight of the fact that the ground is also full of people who have sacrificed to be there. Well, that's the end of part one. Dan, we're going to let you go. We're going to bring you back for Nerd Pledge Slider. After a breather, we'll be back with our friend Cameron Fink. G'day, guys. This is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lehman. You're back on the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. As we said, we've got a guest with us today who hasn't felt so much like a guest as he has a, a companion over the last few weeks, Jeff. Part of the family. He is part of the final word family, and we're going to explain why he is. Really, he predates the final word. Mm. Cam Fink was with you in 2013 as the two of you made your way around that Ashes series, and he's been back with us for the first test at Edgebaston and mm-hmm. decided to return for Manchester in the Oval, <laughs> and we were much better, much happier, much healthier, and much more effective for it. And his story is so good, we thought, let's get him on the show, but um, so welcome, Cam. Thanks for being here. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, but what I wanted to do is essentially interview the two of you to begin with about the origins of your relationship. So people know a lot about Jeff and my relationship, perhaps not so much about mm-hmm. who, who came before me in terms of this travelling nonsense that we do. Yep. 2013, Jeff, how do, you two, how do you find a bloke of his, Cam's capacity and talent to come with you on a trip which you were doing? I mean, on a shoestring would be a generous interpretation. <laughs> um, yeah, well, there was no money. <laughs> there was no shoestring. <laughs> We were asking people for shoestrings. Um, yeah, so Cam and I very loosely went to university. I, I, you can't exactly say together, but we, we happened to attend the same university within about a 10-year window in which, you know, a large group of friends of ours had a lot of random stupid shit going on. Um, so we, we crossed paths. We knew of each other as people who get up to stupid shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, and I remember specifically meeting you at uh, Simo's house, 36 floors up. And we were reading uh, poetry in your best foreign language from a book of erotic tales of secretaries, I think, which we picked up uh, on a walk to a house party. <laughs> when you say 30 fl- 36 floors up, does that mean literally you're on the 36th floor of a house or is that the name 36th of floor of the QV building in Melbourne. Fantastic oh. view. Fantastic view. Um, Outstanding. You know, if you, if you ever got the opportunity for a late night moment alone uh, on that couch it was you know the to, read a, to read erotic poetry about secretaries evidently yeah, um, betty from hey dad you read a poem about her and <laughs> so a lot of a lot of mad men so I, i've met quite a few of your mates jeff from melbourne uni and this group of friends you've gathered along the way and you, you sort of form a life in poetry yep. and academia and so forth it is eclectic and i mean cam you've obviously gone off and become a, a, a renowned videographer how did you two kind of square the circle that 
in Jeff's case, he's going to go to the UK to mm. cover an Ashes series. And in your case, I can just drop everything and join him. <laughs> so basically it was, I, I was writing a lot for a website called The Raw, which, you know, God bless them. They've, it was built from the ground up by um, Zach and, and Zoltan Zavos. What a great name for a, a pair of names for a pair of brothers, the Z boys. Um, and they they put this website together and, it, and I was involved from quite, you know, pretty early on in the process. Mm. And it was very much like, what can we do? What can we cobble together? How can we make it happen? You know, um, what sort of oily rags can we use to fuel the enterprise? So they managed to get a sponsorship thing from British Airways to, to cough up a couple of flights. Um, and it had $5,000 attached to it. So they're like, do you want to go to the Ashes? You can get two flights and 5,000 bucks. Now, that was in 2013 when I think it was about 40 pence to the dollar, so it was about 2,000 quid. So it's like, (laughs) you need to go with the cameraman for nine weeks, I think it was, and survive in the UK on 2,000 pounds, but for two of you. Yeah, I mean, Um, trying to apply that to what we currently do, I mean, that might last, yeah, well, you you can, a grand might get you around the UK for a couple of weeks, but certainly not nine. No. So, I mean, so the associated challenges, Cam, Jeff puts this to you and says... Well, I was like, who who do I find who can do this? Right. Who's going to be willing to do this in the way that it will need to be done, where we have no money and we have no ability to, you know, have any of the normal comforts? So I was like, who who do I know who would be up for that adventure. And Cam had done a similar sort of trip with Tony Wilson in, in 2010. Well, that, that one was slightly different in the sense that we were paid fairly well. That was for Working Dog and they had a budget and they, they looked after us very well. But that was my first time doing that kind of thing. So right. I was completely inexperienced, had some camera skills, but had no idea what life on the road reporting at a sporting event was going to be like. So Tony and I went to South Africa, had press passes for the broadcast rights holder, which meant we could go anywhere. So we got to like 12 games and we're making videos every second day. Oh, and wow. It was, quite an experience exhausting and exhilarating and wonderful so i assume that was kind of the the missing piece for jeff so we weren't particularly close mates at the time but the combination of someone who has the basic skill set and is willing to drop everything for two months for no money yeah that's probably not a big (laughs) venn diagram i always kind of wondered what you looked like cam because i never had in the intervening years jeff had spoke a lot about you in 2013 and you know it's a trip that obviously meant a lot to him and i kind of thought you might be about six foot four Six foot four. <laughs> I always thought you'd have blonde hair. That's how I had you pictured. Not, okay. not, not with brown hair and a beard, and not six foot four. Shall we say generously? I'm comfortably not six foot four. <laughs> yeah. So when when you showed up this year, but no, I kind of thought you know this nomadic existence that you lead. You're talking mm. about one of the interesting things about being a camera operator is that you have some sort of presence, but people don't know what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were in one video. You've got the one cameo in the video from Durham when uh, a couple of the Barmy Army guys. You only when they start singing, he looks like Tom Hanks from Castaway. Um, and then one of them goes, Wilson! And at that moment, Cam just turns the camera on himself for a second and gives it a knowing look and then flips it back. Well, this kind of um, this is kind of what I wanted to get into with this chat, really. It's, so there's the... We'll come back to the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the way in which you got around the country. But the work he did was... Of a really high quality. I remember at the time, Jeff, following you on Twitter and sort of seeing these videos come up before you met in real life, and you managed to do something that became a template for what yeah. a lot of people have done, really, which is stupid stuff at the front of cricket grounds where you were willing to make fun of yourself and also try and absorb what was going on around you mm. on an Ashes day. Yeah, well, the brief was very, very loose. So the brief was... Um, they want you to make a video every day, whatever it is, and also write a piece, write a tour diary every day. Make a video, that was it. We're like, okay, what does that mean? So basically Cam and I said, we will make the stupidest thing we can think of on any given day, you know, and it has to be something that can be kind of cut together in 
a few hours, although he ended up doing a lot of all-nighters sort of getting the video up for the next day. So it was what can we come up with that's a relatively simple concept working within the constraints. So, for instance, because we couldn't film in the ground, we did a lot of, like, time-shifting videos where we would film me in the ground the day before giving a report about what may or may not have happened on the next day um, and crossing to me outside the ground on the actual day. So, you know, here we are, we're, we're Australia have uh, been bowled out on the second day. Well, you know, let's go to Jeff at Lords. Um, and I'm like, well, I don't know what's happened yet because we haven't started, but Australia have either done very well or very badly. So it was just what can we work with? You know, how can we um, use what's at our disposal? There's a memorable video, Cam, which still does the rounds on the internet. It's, I mean, if you Google Jeff Lemon, there you Usually, uh, it's all three things that come up. Uh, one is the the piece about Shannon and the Guardian, and the other thing is the Hay Watson video. Which, well, that, the Hay Watson. So, tell nice. us about the origin of Hay Watson, how you shot it, and why it went so bananas. So that uh, that video is definitely a homage to a Martin Malloy sketch, uh, Hay Botham from the early nineties, where. Uh, Mick Malloy and Tony Martin just lay into uh, Beefy for just being a goose for some reason and saying he didn't care what Australians think. So that was the the inspiration for it. And then we wrote it sort of together during the afternoon play and then Jeff was a bit coy about recording it outside the ground but I knew very, very clearly that that is the only way that that was going to be funny. We have to do it in front of people and make complete gooses of, I'll say ourselves, but I really just mean Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) I'd not done any video before this. I'd had none. So when we were filming our first thing on on arrival, we actually, we landed about 6.30 in the morning. We went straight to the walkabout in the middle of of London because the Lions were, the British Lions were playing the Wallabies in the rugby at about 10am. So we went straight to to that to that bar um, and within a couple of hours arriving in London I was doing a jug skull on a table being filmed by Cam with like 4,000 people cheering um, and, it felt that, like and it. keep in mind too that I don't have a lot of experience either I've worked at one event three years earlier yeah. I, I hadn't made a lot of videos on the fly either. This was not my forte by any stretch. Yeah. <laughs> so no, neither of us really knew what we were doing, and I was very awkward and embarrassed being on video. I hated doing it when people were around. Like when people were standing there watching me do it, I'd be like, oh, go away. What are you looking at? Fuck off. And, and so when Cam's like, we have to go to the members' gate, as pe-, this was about 6 p.m., he's like, as people are leaving, as all the people come out, that's where you need to be. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And he's like, yes, and, you and are. And rightly so, because that is yeah. a scary thing to do. And I know it's a scary thing to do, but that's kind of the – that's the part I enjoy about the role. Like, together, you've got to decide what you're going to do. And if it's risky or embarrassing or in some way uncomfortable, you could just help each other do it together. That's, I love that part. Why don't we have a listen to Hey Watson – Hey Shane Watson, let's go over the rules of the DRS. If you get given out and you think you're not out, you can review it and then maybe you won't be out. If you're not out, you keep the review. If you are out, you lose the review. That means it's good to be right. You may choose to remember this with the acronym IGTBR or the useful mnemonic, I grow tomatoes bro, respect. The thing is, You've got two reviews and 11 batsmen. Mathematically, that works out to less than one review per batsman. The conclusion on that, you should base your reviews on evidence, not just preferring not to be out. Let's just have a look at the DRS analysis of your reviews, Shane. See any problems here? Hey, Shane Watson, let me pitch you a hypothetical. Let's say you've got a batsman who gets nailed LBW every innings and then has a review on a 50-50 call in hope and then he's always out, and then his opening partner 
gets a really terrible call, but he's not going to use a review because he's not a selfish dickhead, so then he's out, so then he got two batsmen out and one review wasted, and the rest of the team goes down for 100 in the rest of the day, and Chris Rogers was going to get a century. We could see it in his eyes. And what do you think about that, Shane? Here's a question for you. Shane Warne was inducted into the Hall of Fame on this ground today. What do you think he would have done? Do you think you're worthy to share the eight letters you have in common with his name? You know when's a good time to use DRS? When you get out, but you know that you're not out. Then you're probably going to end up not out. You know when's a bad time to use DRS? When you're out, but you just kind of wish that you weren't. Stop acting like it's beach cricket, Shane! Stop acting like it's a centre-wicket practice session for your benefit! Stop acting like Shane Watson! Well said. I thought I'd drop that in there because as good as the, the shot is, and I encourage you to watch it because all the punters coming around, you can probably hear at the end, they all gather around. It is mostly a, a poem, really, isn't it? Or a piece of a spoken word, which I guess, Jeff, was your bag before you did cricket. Poor um, old Watto. I, by the end of that series, I'd done a 180 on Shane Watson because I felt, I felt quite bad for it afterwards because, you know, I mean, God, he's trying his best, isn't he? Um, so I wrote, I wrote quite a nice piece about him um, by the end of that tour saying, I'm sorry, Shane Watson. Yeah, and I don't think you're, I mean, you and I, I think, in some, some respects, the first writing we read of each other was about Shane Watson at different yep. intervals and, <laughs> and getting used to the idea that, you know, having got something radically wrong, yeah. like, and I think it's quite important to have got something incredibly off the mark early in your writing career so you know what it's like to get the shit kicked out of you on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. Mm. I did something like that in 2000. I, made, yeah. I wrote a terrible Watson piece and before the 13, 14 Ashes, I wrote a really... Uh, a really poorly considered piece about why England would flog Australia in that series. I, I just it was on the fly, wrote it in an hour and didn't think too much about it. And, and I, I still, you know, about a year later, I was still copying grief on Twitter about that, <laughs> rightly so. But no, the Watson narrative was fun. Um, another thing you blokes did together um, during that trip, when in between tests, I think it was, yep. you went to Iceland. Why not? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, of course, that's a natural destination point when Australia's playing a tour game. Let's go to Iceland. So the, uh, the thing about that that was very lucky in my respect was that Jeff had never been to Europe before. I'd, I'd ah. been lucky enough to have travelled around Europe a few times in the previous decade or so, and but Jeff had never been. And there was a neat window where there were cheap flights out of London, London yeah. and back into Manchester where we were only going to miss one session of play and we could spend eight or nine days in Iceland. And I was expecting Jeff to knock that idea on the head and go to Paris or Prague or some other European destination that's <laughs> a bit more uh, central or possibly a first port of call. No, Jeff was like, Iceland, let's do it. Yeah, it was perfect. So there was a flight at like 6am on day six after the Lord's Test yep. and then one into Manchester. The next test was at Old Trafford, into Manchester on the morning of the first day. So we were at the ground within an hour of play starting. Um, and in the Why main- does that not surprise me at all that you missed the start of a test match to come from somewhere else, by the way? <laughs> That was the only way. It would, there was there were flights for like every three days, and so we're, like, we're not coming back three days early to to be up for the first hour and, of play. And, and the fun part about this that I like is that we were on five thousand Australian dollars for the entire trip, and we were so good at not spending money nearly every other way that we had enough money to go to Iceland. Yeah, which is one of the most expensive countries in the world. Isn't I reckon it? we. I think we maybe spent, not by then. I reckon we spent eight hundred dollars hiring a car. So out of the five grand, it was eight hundred <laughs> bucks of it went on the. Worst rental car you've ever... Just a real banged-up, shitty, like, Nissan sedan um, that that just looked like it had been backed out of someone's driveway. We got there... We thought the only thing to do is rent a car because, you know, you want to get around the whole country. So we decided to circumnavigate. We'd we'd drive the the coast road all the way around the country Mm -hmm. and camp. 
so we hired a car from a, I shit you not, a rental company called Sad Cars. <laughs> Welcome to Sad Cars. Which When we, we saw the URL, we knew that was our company. Yeah. Um, and the office was in this little warehouse thing. You had to take a cab about 15 minutes away from the airport, the middle of an industrial estate, find this little corner of a warehouse where there was this shonky sort of, you know, partition board office with like one Sad Cars, and he really was a Sad Cars representative sitting in it going, hello, you know, and then, then he gives you your car and you're like, oh, it's just, it's literally just someone's mum's car that you borrowed, you know. Well, the incredible thing about that car was we drove around the country and on the absolute opposite side of uh, Iceland from Reykjavik at a festival called Brightsland, which I'd heard of, it was sold out, but I really wanted to go. Um, we turned up not having tickets, not knowing where it was and not knowing anybody. And it's like a tiny little coastal, it's like a fishing town right. where it's all foggy. There's like 2,000 people who live there most of the year and then once a year they have this festival and about 10,000 people from all over Iceland all descend on it and pack out the, the docks. They, they put the, the gigs on in the big warehouse areas at the docks and so on and it's suddenly packed. Every every spot is full of cars and it, there's a tent on every flat piece of land and we drove through all of this mess and then like pulled up at the we, front we gate of the up, festival and there was back. one parking spot there was just an empty car spot and we're like yoink but we don't know where to go because it's super foggy so we just talk to the very first person we can find and say hey where's the festival he's just walking down the road he's walking down the street in his Iceland jumper looking very local so we say do you know where the festival is and he says yeah it's just hang on that's my car (laughs) (laughs) the dude had sold his car three weeks earlier to Sad Cars Rental Company (laughs) and we hired it and he was literally the first person we spoke to in a tiny town on the opposite side of the country this is like nine hours away from Reykjavik literally the opposite side of the country and and he's like and he's like yeah no the the accelerator's a bit sticky and he's like I put that spoiler thing on the I'm like oh god it is his car it really was and then then we flashed our uh, cricket media pass our ECV pass we're like hello we are from the media. Can we come into your festival? They're like, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> no, it's the guy. I might get you into some cricket grounds, but it will the, get you into the. Yeah, the festival director was just walking past all the time, and they're like, "What well, you can ask him," and he's like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> <laughs> the part I like about that was your Icelandic accent. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, I had to learn how to say Eyjafjallajökull, uh, which is the the name of the volcano that um, fucked up all the air traffic in Europe. Oh yeah, that wouldn't have been much before that. A couple of years earlier, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So there's the Iceland trip. There's the Shane Watson video. Um, there's the origin of how you came together. Um, then there's the staying. Then there's the finding a way to <laughs> on nothing. Some friends are accommodative, and we've been very grateful for that over Jeff yep. and my travels. But you took it to a whole new level. You two. I mean, the way you managed to essentially sleep on floors every night of the trip and that that takes something like how did how did you find a way to work all hours whilst seldom having a mattress to sleep yeah I, i think we paid for like a few nights of an airbnb in manchester like four nights i reckon that was it um, but what the, I, what I find well, sleeping on a floor no problem at all. What I don't yeah. like is being a bad guest, and it's very hard to be a good guest when you're working really hard. So mm. Yeah, because you can't hang out and be fun. And So and we, we turn up in London and stay at uh, a friend Richie's place. I'd met him skiing in Canada a few years earlier, and he's a lovely, generous fellow, and I'd, I'd just stayed with him again last night. And it's really hard to be a good guest when you're literally working until three or four in the morning and then Mm. have to be up again. And so we were really fortunate that people were very understanding of that. And so we stayed on floors in three or four different friends' houses and they were just excited to help us do this trip, which we were obviously enjoying so much. Um, The the first place we went, though, because when we arrived, I'd never been to England, so I didn't actually know many people here and Cam was the one who had more friends and so on. Um, But we had to go to Nottingham first and we didn't know anybody. So we were on couch surfing for Nottingham, hoping to find 
something. We didn't want to start the trip by having to splurge a bunch of cash we didn't have. And I should say at this point I was a professional poet. You know, I literally didn't have any other money. It's not, it's not like I just didn't want to spend my own money. I didn't have it. It was like we've, we've got to be able to get home at some point. So we couch surfed um, and, and landed this incredible place which was legitimately a mansion. It was in this kind of big estate where, where it said this estate was founded in 1820-something. So I was like, this is older than colonised Melbourne, you know, this, this, this joint where we're staying. Genuine mansion with some of the most eccentric owners you've ever seen. Um, there were all kinds of random people staying there because this, this bloke just liked having random people around. Um, there was his partner who was definitely not supposed to be on the booze but had a bunch of wine hidden in the laundry and would go in there and, and pretend to put loads of laundry on and then you just hear like the corkscrew popping and then he'd the come back out again lack of coherency between any of the decorations or decor in any yeah. of the rooms it was huge just paintings elaborate artworks and then these giant stuffed animals there was a grand piano that you know I lay on top of doing a video report one day um, there was a bloke who lived in a camper van in the driveway who was like an original Ukipper, like a real Eurosceptic sort of right-wing conspiracy theorist who lived in a camper van in the drive and would just Back come in... Back in 2013 when it was but, perfectly fine when they were marginalised yeah, and had no platform. It, when it was still kitsch rather than, yeah. you know, in and the then, House uh, of Commons. One of the things I remember is Peter, our host, on the first night being very keen to take us out to dinner and Jeff and I were... He'd given us a few hours notice and Jeff and I were like, oh, I wonder where this eccentric, delightful, accommodating, friendly man is going to take us for dinner. It's going to be somewhere uh, exciting or different or... Maybe some elaborate foreign dish. No, he took us to the local pub and he the wanted to make, He wanted to make sure we were there by six pm to get the two for one on the chips. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was something. There was like a, a, a special on the pints on the on the you know the pump, hand pump pints or Not something. Not in the least bit consistent with his character that we had gleaned from his accommodation. Yep. Um, and, and we got home from the cricket one day, and he had a chamber, like a, a, a chamber ensemble playing, you know, like a dozen classical musicians playing in the backyard with like 80 people all sitting around watching them. And he's like, oh, yes, we do this once a month. Astonishing. <laughs> and they had the luscious carpet in the world. We slept on the floor, and it was, it's better than most beds I've been in on that carpet. So even though, Jeff, you and I have done, I don't know, upwards of 15, 20, maybe more tours now around the world. That's one that sort of stands out. I, I guess in 2015, you and I had a similar experience on the floors. The, yeah. I remember the beanbags we were sleeping on one night and, you know, oh, rocking up to pubs with our bags and hoping that one of our friends would kindly put us up. I remember Vish did that one night for us. Will another um, at the start. A bit different uh, four years on. Uh, you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't lash out, but we certainly find a way to sleep in a bed each night, or at least we attempt to. Uh, but this yeah, time sometimes around... Sometimes we're Cam, not the only one in it, but you make do when you're on the road. You do what you need to do. Uh, Cam, um, you, you've, you've came back this time. So, I mean, we didn't expect to see you in 2019 on the road, but you and Jeff had been talking about this series uh, coming up and you thought, I'm going to subject myself to this all over again. Um, but not only did you come once, you've rocked up twice. I mean, it, one, it's one thing to fly to England for, for an Ashes series. And I know you were coming for a wedding as well, and I know it tied in neatly, but it's another altogether to go back home and think, you know what, I'm going to go back to England for a second crack at this. I mean, talk us through your last couple of months. Uh, the original, so I'd been working pretty hard the last few years and hadn't had the adventures that I was used to um, on a pretty annual basis. I don't really like the winter, so most Melbourne winters I'd escaped to a northern summer and I hadn't done that for a couple of years so I was just chatting to Jeff and I was just a bit restless and I said oh have you got any need for a videographer on your on your tours now I'd watched him forge his career with you and and become a, a staple of the cricket journalism world 
and I'd drifted off and done other things, but I was like, I wouldn't mind tapping into that again. We had a great time, and I'd, mm. I'd love to just go and enjoy it again. So we organised to, to meet up for the first test. Jeff organised the pass for me, and everything was great. I met you at that first test. Yeah, was, yeah. It was nice to join those dots. It really was, wasn't it? It was like, I feel like I know a lot about you. I feel like I know an awful lot about you, yeah, and now we're, now we're working together. It was a really together. nice moment. And so that first test was fantastic, and then I went off to the wedding and did another little bit of travel and then went home for a job that I had booked. And I realised when I got home that I was just I was still itchy. I was up at 2 or 3 a.m., whatever time it was, when Ben Stokes hit the winning runs in the third test. And I was like, the series is still live. And <laughs> he was texting me constantly that last afternoon at Hedigley, just like, what is this? Oh, my God. Oh, you know. And I was like, well, if he, if he wins it, you've got to come back. And he's like, oh, fuck it. Oh, God. And, and then and you go, but then you go, and, I mean, that, am I right in saying that afternoon or that evening you went, yeah, right, and you just went and found some flights? <laughs> no, it was like on the day that the flight left. Cause oh, he, sorry. Because he, he had to finish another job first. It was like, if I finish it, then I'll buy the yeah, I'd sent Jeff a text saying, I've given myself this deadline. If I can get enough done by Wednesday night, I'll jump on a plane the next day. And I did get enough done, or near enough, and bought the flights at 4am and got on a plane eight hours later, which is a, an amazing thing you can do now in the world. <laughs> yeah. You jump, in, you jump in a middle cylinder and you wake up and you're in a different continent. And it was very conveniently timed. It was the Manchester test and I only had one stopover in Hong Kong, direct from Hong Kong to Manchester. I got out of the plane at seven in the morning, stopped off for a shower at Foxy's place where Jeff had organised for us to stay. Oh, of course, yeah. Had a shower, said hi. Jumped on a bus, arrived at the ground with half an hour until the first ball. It was quite lucky. <laughs> Superb. And, and by the way, going through Hong Kong airports, no mean feat in recent months. You could have easily ended up staying there for yeah, a while. Yeah, well, I did mention that to Jeff and he said that was pretty risky and I had completely forgotten. I was buying <laughs> my flights on Skyscanner and I have one criteria on Skyscanner. Give me the cheapest flight. Absolutely. <laughs> solidarity with those that were in Hong Kong airport a couple of weeks ago, by the way. Uh, and so you've come around with us this time and part of the reason we wanted to, to have a chat today, Cam, is that I mean, you've, you've helped, I suppose, Jeff and I reevaluate where our video stuff's at, and we've now decided, with your assistance, to have a pop at doing some more creative projects, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And the first of those, um, you two drummed up and I participated in, um, principally in Birmingham, but you were editing it and pulling it together last week, and it's now sitting on YouTube on our social media feeds. Um, it's called... Holy Ground. Holy Ground. Um, Cam, explain uh, how this is... Uh, how it's been pulled together, what the principle of the whole thing is and, and how much fun it was over the last few weeks assembling it. Making videos like that is uh, incredibly time-consuming and draining and every time I do it, I wonder why I'm doing it. And then it's made and I just love that we did it. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. love when we make a video. You love that we have done it, not so much the oh, doing it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. When you're like writing. I'm going to enjoy having this for a long time. I didn't quite enjoy having to pull an all-nighter to get it done, but I do very much enjoy the product. And it's just a celebration of why we like doing this, why we like this life. It's a celebration of scandal, isn't it? I mean, I think when we were sort of sketching it on a train one day, I don't know where we were exactly, on the, on the way to the Women's Ashes in Bristol, weren't we? We thought, well, what is the one thing in common that these few venues we're going to be at? We're like, well, there's, there's, there's the walkabout in Birmingham, the Joe Root, David Warner, Palava. There's Bristol with Ben Stokes and the Embargo Affair. And we, we roped in the bourbon and beef steak in Sydney from Ricky Ponting's famous night out in we 1999. We were thinking about the Avenue as well. I, I think the it, Avenue started in off Perth, with, right. it started off with me being aware that you had... <laughs> had gone to all, you'd gone visited to all. all of those <laughs> venues. You'd been to the Avenue uh, and to Embargo and to um, the Walkabout in Pilgrimage to all of them. I've so taken, I thought taken if, yeah, a if video and photo in them. Yeah. If we're in Birmingham, we've got to do something with the Walkabout. So that's what we've done. It's a, it's a seven and a half minute short feature. Um, and a few of our colleagues who generously chipped in in a very entertaining way. Um, so if you have One thing I love about the dynamic in that video is that you two pretend not to really know each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's different bits in it where we start pissing ourselves laughing. Mercifully, 
but <laughs> most of those are in the outtakes. The camera as well, yeah. Kind of day. But, but I guess the good thing about it is, is that um, you've got at least a nomination for Tropfest this year, Cam. So you know, <laughs> there's something to, to go with, and, and it's the first of what we'll do um, over the summer. We don't really know where this is going to go yet, but. We know that people that use YouTube are, shall we say, a lot younger than the three of us. <laughs> we know that they use YouTube a lot and we know that a lot of them like cricket an awful lot. So we're going to try and bring the final word to YouTube. So, Jeff, the uh, the URL for our YouTube page is... Probably, probably final word... Final Word Cricket. You'll be able to find it. If you just Google Final Word Cricket or look on our social media feeds and you can see holy ground. It it is, I mean, it is extremely funny what Cab's been able to pull together there, not just with um, Jeff and me playing a couple of different characters, but other members of the press pack, including Daniel Norcross, Sandra Asim, Melinda Farrell, Ali Martin Martin from The Guardian. They've they've all played a role uh, along the way. Um, The editing's unbelievable. Some of the old historical archival footage in there is just sensational. The the slickness um, of the overlay and all the rest of it, compared to the very basic video shooting that you and I do it's yeah, like yeah. that's when you realise that you're nowhere near that level so jump on the YouTube page and, and last before I go I, I, I just want you to tell the story of the other day because you were at the football the other day Cam and, and, and you met uh, 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 you, you met someone at the football which, which you were only there on the basis of what you'd someone you'd met here in 2013 coming full circle you're at the Watford game and you end up sitting with well one of the biggest celebrities in the world and I had no idea who she was absolutely <laughs> clueless <laughs> And I was clueless for the first two hours. I had no idea at all. I was lucky enough to have a, a connection uh, with a man I'd met in Russia at the World Cup last year uh, who was in, he worked for the company that's the jumper, the shirt sponsor for Watford this year. And I, I'd saw a, I saw a post of, uh, that he'd put up about that and I thought, that's pretty exciting. I'll just uh, message him and see if there's any chance of me getting to the Watford Arsenal game. And he wasn't in the country, but he very generously said, yeah, go on, I'll put you on the list. They just turn up, here's where you go, just say your name at the door and they'll escort you to the, the Bitcoin box. I don't even know what that is. I turn up to the ground. <laughs> I've never been in a corporate box in the ground in my life. I go to the right door, say my name, and I get escorted to the Bitcoin box. And a man greets me, says, you must be Cam, hands me a, sh- a Watford shirt with my name on the back. <laughs> Unreal. We have a gourmet meal, 12 beers, and uh, had a great day. I met uh, eight or so people long before kickoff, um, and I struck up a conversation with this girl who was very friendly. We were chatting quite a lot. And then during the course of the game, we were sitting out in the stands, and people kept coming up and wanting to get a photo with her, and it, I just started to, to twig that this person might have a pretty decent public profile. I had absolutely no idea who she was. You didn't know that Mia Khalifa's got 17 million Instagram followers and is one of the most well-known, well, these days broadcasters in an earlier life, uh, film stars <laughs> on the planet, probably the most Google person in the world. Well, and you were just sitting there next the, to her. Uh, the Insta story. And Sculling beers as, uh, as goals were scored, I saw. Absolutely, and we were cheering and laughing away and yeah, I was completely clueless as to the, <laughs> the calibre of celebrity who I was uh, cheering for goals with. And then, oh, I and then that... mentioned it to, to Adam on a, on a text. He's like, what? 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 <laughs> yeah, the, the part about this story that I like the most actually is how excited Adam was about it. I didn't even know who this person was. Adam's jaw hit the floor when uh, I was describing uh, yeah, it. Yeah, Watford? <laughs> Just, yeah, and, and continued to for about 12 hours. No, I'm still staggered by the whole thing. It reminds it's a little bit of a Notting Hill thing for me in that in that Mia Khalifa is is uh, is Julia Robertson. And of course, Cam, you're Hugh Grant in that scenario. So mm-hmm. you know, you, you, she's just walked into your bookshop, so to speak. Uh, uh, what I wanted to tell that at the end was that this, for mine, really does sort of sum you up uh, as a person. Um, your intrepid nature and the fact you just jump on planes and do these amazing things. You're brilliant at your job and. We're just chuffed to have you as part of the final word. Not only stay on the podcast, but um, uh, but hopefully uh, as we go into this new venture, um, integral to what we're going to do on YouTube. So again, jump on the final word cricket YouTube 
page. Have a look at uh, Holy Ground. Uh, subscribe, tell your mates, and then you'll be able to see far more wonderful work from Cam Fink. Thanks for being part of The Final Word. Pleasure. Lovely to be here. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Sat phone. <laughs> yes, sat phones. You can get them at satphoneshop.com. Uh, they're sponsors of the show. They sell satellite telephones. Um, Daniel, you, you look very pleased with yourself at the moment. This is the most spectacular camembert I've really ever is. been. <laughs> I don't know whether it's because I'm slightly shabby and hungover or whether it is just the most fantastic. It's so runny. It's a warm day and it's been sitting out for a little while. We, oh. we are eating camembert while we record around the uh, around the kitchen table at my, my friend uh, Maggie and Elle's apartment. Thanks, guys, for, um, for letting us record Last here. part of town here, n- n- yeah. right near the barbican. Yeah, just near the barbican. Uh, windows on both sides. You can get some cross breeze, dry your, your laundry easily. It's a good spot. Yeah. Do you want to know what else they sell aside from satellite phones? Please. Um, two-way radios. You can grab yourself a Uniden UH35 triple pack, and who doesn't want one of those coming we, in a range of festive colours like red, blue, and lime green? Maybe um, we should use walkie-talkies instead of... How good would it be? Do you, do you know what is... Uh, like, a few of the festivals I've been to, some of my friends will take a two-way radio where there's, there's no reception or whatever it is. In an age of mobile phones, it's still exciting to use a (laughs) walkie-talkie. This is something I've discovered in the last couple of years. Like, it shouldn't be because it's fundamentally very much the same concept. Jeff to Adam. Adam to Jeff. Over, over. Did yeah. you have walkie talkies when you were kids? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but they were amazing because you could talk to someone who wasn't there. But then you got mobile phones and you can do that all the time. And you can be like, you know, it's not like I ever ring you, Adam, and go like red leader to gold leader, come in gold leader. <laughs> but if I had a walkie talkie, I would definitely go red leader to gold leader, come would in gold leader. Would you go that, would you You'd have to. Yeah, you have to. It's if in the Constitution. If the, um, if the handset isn't doing it, you have to do it. But I'm sure the sat phone shop. Dot, a cup on a string when I was a kid. That's yeah. how old I am. Couple of string through the through the wall. <laughs> I wore an onion under my belt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, the, your camera time. still requires film to be processed in the shop. There, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you can you can get one. They probably make the crackly noises. Um, they're they're available at very reasonable prices. They've got like massive CB radio antennas as well. Um, so if you're trying to communicate with people in the middle of nowhere, if you're like you know a grey nomad driving around the the long coastlines of Australia or if you're um, if you're out at sea or if you are going to Glastonbury and you want to, you know, make sure that you know where your friends are, you can uh, grab a two-way radio, satphoneshop.com, check them out, buy some stuff. Then that makes the sponsorship work. This is how it works, people. It's a simple operation. <laughs> I, I think, though, us getting a sat phone is the next thing, isn't it? Oh, totally. We, we need to find a way to use the sat phone in the podcasts. Now that you're oh. going back to Australia... Yeah. It's going to be a little bit. It's going to be a little bit postal service where we're going to be writing lyrics in one place yeah. and recording the music elsewhere. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a little bit Elton John and whether mm. the guy that is that he works with, who we really should know the name of him, but we don't. It's going to have that feel to it. Now is the right time to integrate the sat phone to our yeah. operation. Yeah. I wish the listeners could see the look on your eyes at the moment, Adam. There's a poignancy in them as you mm. gaze at the departing Jeff. He's going to leave in. Well, he leaves in 48 minutes, so we have to finish this. 48 minutes. Let's get cracking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to do at least 48 minutes of nerd. But we're not. We're not. Um, let's play nerd pledge. 
The game where you pledge and we nerd, or you nerd and we pledge. You uh, go to the patron page, you sign up for an amount uh, to, to chuck us an amount of coins that you want to give us and you make that number something to do with cricket and then we have to work out what it is. But before we play Nerd Pledge, let's give a little bit of love to the non-Nerd Pledge pledges because yes. some people are straightforward. They just come in and they say, I'm going to do two bucks, I'm going to do five bucks, I'm going to do ten bucks, and that's what they do. And it's and so instead of doing a Nerd Pledge, we just make up a fact about these people and that's what we will do today. Uh, Alistair Mills, uh, the inventor of the Mills bomb, uh, which was <laughs> the, the early hand grenades that they used in World War One. He's going back a while. Thank you. Alistair Mills. Any uh, relation of the uh, New Zealand quickie? Uh, which well, Adam Mills. Uh, Adam. Uh, was it called Adam Mills? There's another Kyle? Adam Mills. Kyle Mills. Was Kyle it? Mills, oh, the Kyle tall curly-haired yeah, one. Yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. He got hit for six by uh, Brett Lee to win a one-dayer once. He was, and he, he hit quite a few sixes. Or did he hit Brett Lee for six to win a one-dayer once? He hit quite Could a few. Could have worked either way. He hit quite a few sixes himself. He, was he probably a... hit Brett Lee for a six end, didn't he? He might have done. Uh, more memorable. What about RJ? What has RJ got up to? RJ? Mm. RJ Mills? No, not RJ Mills, just RJ who's, uh, just RJ. who's subscribed to the RJ Jadeja. Oh. It's Ravindra Jadeja's been in touch. Unbelievable. He loves this show. You must know that. Wow. It's because you keep on bigging him up and saying, why isn't he playing well, the, know, instead of Ashwin? That's it's right. a great idea, but it's not his initials. It's, 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 it's A-J-A-Y, as in R-J. R-J Jadeja, though. Uh, R-J Jadeja, who, oh, of course... not Ravindra Jadeja. Yeah, Who, of course, made 100 against Australia in the 99 World Cup quarterfinal when... Not quarterfinal, rather, Super 6 round when it all went to pot. There was R-J batting all the way through to the end. Riley Campbell has signed up. Thank you, Riley. Named after my least favourite character on Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> Riley in season 4 Buffy's boring military boyfriend my oh. god what a mistake that was when they brought him onto the show that bland Ken doll freaking weirdness why was there a military I mean it doesn't really is this no. around September 11 or something no or? There, there was like a secret military operation that was oh. um, detaining demons and vampires and stuff so he was so earnest that guy yeah. and I, it, just, it was just wrong especially because Sarah Michelle Gellar shares a birthday with me and I, I right. always hope that one day yeah, they were supposed to be sort of madly in in lust, and you were like, "That guy!" I swear, when you take his jeans off, he has the plastic Ken underpants, yeah. and there's nothing else there. He was just he was just gross. He had like he was so hairless. He was like a a, a, a worm. It's like a weird worm, Riley. But I'm sure you're not Riley Campbell. I'm sure you're. Thank lovely. you, Riley, uh, and and thank you for subscribing to the pod. And I'm sorry that you have to share your name with that character. I'm I'm going to Sherwin though, brother of Sherwin Campbell. Riley, probably. I'm going to call you Faith. Campbell from now on because she was definitely the best character on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, ben Larson. What do we know about Ben Larson? Gavin's Adam? dad. Gavin's dad. Gavin Larson, um, the, yep. the, the New Zealand medium pacer. Um, it's different spelling. He's a double S-O. He's like a, a Norwegian. Don't Well, no, that's because they changed it when they yeah, mo- when the family it. moved out to right. New Zealand. They decided yep. to anglicise it, as it were, and they went with that spelling. But the, the old man oh. sticks with the original Spelling, Mr. Larson. Right. What a player he a, was as well, Gavin Larson. He's a I mean, he was in ultimate bits and pieces, wasn't he? Yeah. I wish we were rooming our game for Gavin Larson and Chris Harris is more. Tim Weedmore had a good piece about the a, a homage to the Dibbly Dobbler, Dibbly mm-hmm. Dobbly, as it were. And, and, and yeah. Larson was certainly one of those. He, yeah, he's got to be in there. Larson. He's a Scandinavian, Scandinavian <laughs> on the floor. Uh, Steve Kinane has come in. Hello, Steve. We know Steve well, we, we saw we, Steve the other day. We're all we friends do. with Steve, so we, we probably don't need to make anything up about Steve, but what he can I tell you in terms of fact or about Steve? I'll tell you a fact about Steve Kinane. Okay. When, he, when he met his wife, Elise, on their first date, hmm. she had a can of Carlton Light 
as in that was what they were making back in the day, and mm. he thought this isn't going to work out because she was drinking a can of a light beer. <laughs> 20 years of marriage later or whatever it is, it worked out. He's Thank a wonderful man. And if you haven't read his book about backyard cricket, then you, you are missing out big time. Or his book about Scientology, the history oh, of Scientology. Fantastic. It's a fucking great book. I mean, if, if you ever thought about Scientology but not yep. thought about it much more, mm. pick up Steve Kinane's book, Friend of the Show. And Do you the remember one of the weird the things about that book is I read all of it except the last page. Okay. Right, can you believe it? I got all the way through to the last page and then lost the book. <laughs> so, Steve, that if you could weird, just send the last page, yeah. that'd be great. Honestly, I mean, I think I was getting off a train or something because otherwise, you know, you'd, you'd continue reading. Honestly, it's a, it's a page turner and I have turned all the pages except the last one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the final word. Oh, <laughs> the last page. How well is this going? Um, the, it's a real Venn diagram overlap with the Packer family as well, his book on cricket and his book on Scientology. Yeah, yeah, all together. Um, Beautiful. N.J. Brown. N.J. Brown. N.J. Brown. Hang on. N.J. Brown with an E on the end is the no. only batsman for Essex. Oh, really? Are you sure? Yeah, actually. N.J. Brown. No N.J. Brown. One of Kookaburra's own N.J. Brown as well, I'm fairly certain. No, well, this one... Hope I haven't got that wrong. This N.J. Brown signed up with his email address as his username, so I won't read it out. Um, but thank you, N.J. Brown, who is not the opening batsman. Well, I'm not sure that he isn't, actually. I think be. he might just be... You know, it's, it's, it's breaks. Courtney Brown as well. Corner, yeah. Economy drive, remove an unnecessary E. So has it got the extra E or not the extra no, E? No, no E. No E. That's okay. what I mean. As, as, as October the 31st approaches, we can't afford any extraneous letters in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see David Cameron last night, Norky, saying that had he his time again, he would have enacted austerity quicker and harder? Oh, brilliant. So I mean, this guy's yeah, guy unbelievable. <laughs> we should give him another go. <laughs> it's coming round again, slowly creeping in. <laughs> um, Rosalind Hunter has subscribed. Thanks, Rosalind. Uh, Ken Hunter, relative. I got no one else. Why do my reference points all have to do with like 80s footballers? But Ken Hunter's all I could come to terms with right there. There's got to be a better Hunter than that. Well, Rosalind Hunter uh, created the Hunter Valley when she dragged her axe behind her as she walked from one uh, plantation to the next to, to cut down trees with her giant blue ox babe. Very good. I also, can't think of a... Gee, this is weird. A hunter Raja. I can't think of a cricketing hunter. Rosalind, a, a, a hunter Raja. A friend I mean, of Vatushan, a hunter Raja. A hunter Raja. That's it. That's well it. Uh, Carmel Jackson has come through. Carmel? Carmel Jackson. Lovely. Of course, as we know, the granddaughter of the doomed Archie Jackson. Um, he just managed to slip one out before he died of TB, and that was presumably <laughs> Carmel's mother. And, uh, just managed to slip one out before he died of TB. I really, uh, so I really do apologise for, for, yeah. for that statement. Can you edit that out? It's many, in a, it's many in good spirit, though. If you're, Archie uh, Jackson is one of my favourites of yeah. all time. I talk about his 164 at enormous length. When you do apologise for that, you have to say, I'm sorry, Carmel Jackson, I am for real. Um, thank you, Carmel, for signing up. And uh, Tom Evans has signed up. Is that Tom Evans of the, the Liverpool Echo? It I reckon be. it might be. It it might be. Thank you, Tom. Liverpool uh, Echo, Echo. Yeah, Echo, Echo. Echo. Liverpool, Pool, Pool, Echo, 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 Echo,
backlog. We've got like 36 numbers undone and we usually only get through half a dozen or so in an episode. So have patience, bear with us. Um, thank Jeff's you. Jeff's got a flight to catch and I'm not going to let him yep. miss it. Damien Billington, 209. What does 209 mean to you? 209 is that crucial one run more than Ian Botham scored at the Oval <laughs> in 1982 against India when he broke Sunil Gavaskar's shin. But, oh, annoyingly, 209 is not... 229 is the lowest score unclaimed mm-hmm. by a batter. Which we had last week, actually. Two, oh, 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 oh. It's not two for nine. It's not 20 for nine. No. No. 209. 209. Oh, oh, I'm a quank here. I reckon, I, I reckon this may have come up before. Mm. Uh, is this... Like, this is the ponting... Double hundred, isn't it? This is the Ponting double hundred when he's dropped Got on dropped nor- on nothing and goes uh, on by Muhammad had, Amir. Yeah, we had this recently. So Ponting had, had waited a long time for that hundred. In that he may have not made one for. Couple of years, a year or two. It had been it had been a, a decent stretch, and, and he got there after being dropped at long leg and went on to mm. uh, make a century on his home ground. It wouldn't have been the first time he made a hundred at Hobart, but no, but, but, um, but he, near yeah, enough to it. He played a hook shot into the deep, but it was also Graham Pollock made a two oh nine in the late sixties when he played Australia. Oh uh, yeah, in Cape Town. Yep. But the other one that it might be is two oh nine is what Rohit Sharma made in twenty thirteen in that crazy one day series in India when uh, they kept making 360 odd, India kept chasing 360, Mm. then in this game they made 380 I think and Sharma made the Sharma made the double and then Australia looked like they were going to chase it for a while, James Faulkner set the record at the time for the fastest Australian 100 Uh, Maxwell made 60 off 22 balls I think I have this scorecard memorised, I'll just realise Faulkner made the 100 off 70 something balls and and Maxie before that Maxie made the 60 off 22 which was clean as a whistle and and suddenly they thought they might yeah, yeah. Was it was so just you're remembering scorecards. It was because it was just before the 13, 14 Ashes, and Mitchell Johnson was in it bowling quick. This is when he started to look really uh. good again. Um, and it was this bonkers series. George Bailey made a couple of hundreds and a couple of nineties, made a glut of runs, and both teams just kept making three fifties and then chasing them. And it was bananas. It, it was, was a wonderful great life for George Bailey. He really was. Uh, the the uh, the 209th player to play for Australia would have had a problem had the Test match at Leeds been tied because he no longer would have had the record as being the only player, the only person, the only official associated with both of the 1960 tie at Brisbane and the 1986 tie. Umpiring? No, but he was involved in both ties. In, in was he uh, coach? He was the coach in 86 and he played in 1960. Bob Simpson. Bobby Simpson was the 209th Australian cricketer, ah. test cricketer. Well, thank you, Damien. Uh, next up is Prashanth Kanan, who has come forward with 705. Uh, yeah, India made 705 against Australia, so that's they the easy did. one. Is it, it, that, uh, that, that was one of the two times they went gigantic at the SCG. That must be 2003, 2004, some wasn't it? Steve Wall's last test. Bang on. My favourite innings actually comes in that, and it's not Tendulkar's either. Lakshman's 170, mm-hmm. I think it is, I should know, given it's my favourite innings, is the most exquisite um, use of wrists I've ever seen down the ground. He was just on driving for days. Exquisite use of wrists. I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> we've, we've all been there. Yeah. Uh, chained to a radiator. Chained to a radiator. Seven oh five. Seven oh five. Thank you, Prachant. I'm pretty sure that's going to be it because that is the uh, yeah the India score at the SCG when okay. they piled up all those runs and Steve War made eighty and was caught on the boundary by Tendulkar. 
if I recall correctly, yep. while Simon Kadic was batting at the other end, looking very cross because they weren't going for the runs. Richard Thompson has come through with 133. And initially I thought that this had to be a troll of me because 133 is what Rory Burns made in the most hideous 100 <laughs> ever <laughs> compiled <laughs> at Edgebass. I thought he was never going to make another 100. So yet, but he might. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I think I said he's never going to make another run, so you know, <laughs> that, that's ageing less well as time goes on, but I, I, I stand by it anyway, just on principle. One, three, but, three. But then I realised that actually Richard sent this through one day before Rory Burns <laughs> made the made the um, awful hundred, so it can't be Rory Burns, Unless but what could it be? Yeah. Well, no, there's another 133 this summer, which I was at, which was at Chelmsford, Meg Lanning. Oh. Hammering 133 in. Now, I reckon I've got the balls in my head, so I reckon she did it in 62 balls, 63 mm-hmm. balls. That was that the, t- in the, t- the T20, yeah, where she yeah, just went, right. she just teed off and went yeah. bananas. It was, um, yeah. it was the most, it was the most uh, yep. amazing display of uh, calculated hitting I've seen. The way she was pin- like pinging it between the, the fielders on the rope was just Meg Lanning to a T. Yep, that's, I'm very happy to accept that as the answer. I think that's probably right. It's also 133 was Mike Hussey's breakthrough 100 in his second, second test, test after yep. he failed in the first down one. Down at Hobart, I was there. That was the test match yeah. I ended up going was it to. Adelaide? It was at Hobart, because I went down yeah. to, um, I, I jumped on a plane that yeah. morning, having been watching uh, Aloisi um, put Australia through to the Aloisi. World Cup. Aloisi! Aloisi! Yeah. I think I've told this story on the pod before, but in short, uh, I called my dad, you know, in a fairly bad nick at about three in the morning, and said to him, "Book me a flight to yeah. book me a flight to Hobart. Brad Hodges debuting tomorrow." So I went straight from <laughs> straight from watching Australia qualify for the World Cup, grabbed my suitcase, and straight to the airport and yeah. down to Hobart. Um, Career limiting. One thirty three is also what Mark Ramprakash made at the Oval in the innings where that bloke impersonated him and came out to bat. Remember the guy who dressed himself up in the England kit? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. Ca- and walked out of the crowd and walked out to the middle <laughs> and went to take guard. And I- he did it a few times, didn't he? He did Manchester United as well, yeah, didn't he? he did. Yeah, he was in the Man yeah. United team photo. It's a rare 100 for Rams. Yeah. Two or three. Got one, at, um, one at the Oval. Uh, one in West Indies. Well, I want to say Barbados, but yeah. I'm not sure. So, thank you, Richard. I'm going to say that was the Meg Lanning one. Uh, Justin Gowder has come through with 157. What is 157? 157. That's really annoying, isn't it? Because it's one run shy of a whole load of famous uh, numbers, mm. including, including I think, Graham Napier got that in a T20 once. 158. 158. Is 158 De Oliveira as well? a load of well? 158s. De Oliveira? Hmm? De Oliveira, 158. De Oliveira, 158. KP, yeah. I think, has got two 158. Uh, 158. Um, oh, shit. Big bloke that played for Northamptonshire and got in the car accident. Uh, Colin Melbourne. Colin Melbourne made a 158, I think. Uh, rings a bell. Yeah. But 157. One or is it five. one for 57? It could be one for 57. <laughs> it, could be a, it could be a range of different things. Uh, 157. Yeah. I've, got, I've got nothing coming up. I'm going to my usual okay. little tricks here and one going to uh, cap numbers. And what I, I don't think it's going to be I don't think it's a cap number because I, I think there's a very strong link with someone. Oh, who, Jack Hobbs was 157th. Test cricketer for England, he went pretty well. But I think there's, there's so a, Jack Hobbs. It could be there's a strong link with someone who has been around in the last few weeks. Someone we have seen around a lot lately. Adam. Aaron Banks. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, a cricketer, yeah. a cricketer, a cricketer who a cricketer has been around, around who has not been playing but has been around the ashes, Sam just Curran? hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Misa, no, not a no, not, not a, a player, player. just player. hanging out. Former player who's been hanging out, David Gower. Who's just been hanging out? Uh, been who's been hanging out? out? So not a commentator. No. So with the team. Who's just been chilling out? Stephen Roger Wars yes, been hanging is. out. So is, is it a Steve War? 
It's three Steve Warriors. <laughs> He's got 157 three, three times. Three times. Uh, Headingley in 93. Yeah. Roll Pindy in 98. Yeah. Was that when Taylor made yeah. the 300? Must have been. And the Oval in 2001. So the, that's the one-on-one leg oh. that we mentioned last week when he had the blood clot and then got taken off on a stretch or whatever it is. And Here I was thinking, I thought he doubled up then. I thought he made a double. No, no, no. One, 157 not because he retired hurt, I'm pretty sure. But he also got two others and he made those second two back-to-back. No one else got 157 between 1998 and 2001 when Steve Ward did it twice. Beautiful. He had all the 157s. Dino, right in your hitting zone. Dino got a 157 too. I'm surprised he didn't know that. It was also Simon Kadic's highest oh, score. Oh, yes, yes, yes. 89 Ashes. Simon Kadic's highest test score as well. Oh. 57. Friend of the show, Simon Kadic. Dean Jones was on the great cricketer last night, so there's some... Mm-hmm. Um, I've plugged them twice now. Well worth listening to Dean Jones on the great cricketer. Very, very um, funny. Our next one is comes in from Roost. I don't know what Roost, Roost is. Roost, there is it is. But Roost, whoa, whoa, whoa. Roost. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a combination between a few different words. Four, nine, zero. I think you'll know this one, Adam. Four ninety zero. No one's made four ninety. No one's. It's not a score. No, it's not a score. Uh, well, there's not been four hundred and ninety Australian cricketers. The so four hundred and ninetieth English cricketer is Robin Jackman, who Robin Jackman, <laughs> who, 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 who our colleague and friend Dan Breddick describes as the, the has, has the face of a man of a million circuits last week. <laughs> Very good from Dan. Um, uh, Robin Jackman, of course, nearly had a got a tour um, shut down. The nineteen. 19- 8081 tour of England to the West Indies because of his South African connections. Oh, did he? Uh, the Guyanan government wouldn't let him in, so that match had to be um, abandoned completely because they, they wouldn't give him um, a visa. It doesn't wow. feel like it's going to be Robin Jackman, does it? So 490. Kicked, kicked out of Guyana. Is there a 490 first class score? Is there a 4 for 90 that was important? The 490 team I score? Think, I don't think. Ooh. A 490 team score, it's is that where you're at? quite what England got against. 490 team it jumped score. out at me, it jumped out at me straight away. Oh, did it? Did yeah. It? Oh, yeah. 490 team score. This is, a, this is a number that away. means a lot to you and I. To you two. To, to us yeah. too. Oh, hang on. That's uh, what Pakistan were at Brisbane in... Um, it's what they were chasing. Uh, we talked about it last week. Pakistan were after 490 and they made 450. Yep. Beautiful. Four, that's exactly we'll that. it. Who was that from, rather? That was from Roost. Roost, there it is. Thanks, Roost. Um, I'm... Happy to call that Pakistan at Brisbane. Uh, Christopher Barrett's 355. I'm pretty sure you'll be all over this one. Well, it's DK Lilly, and thanks to Ambassador Christopher Barrett. That's um, that's the other Chris Barrett, not the cricket writer, but. also, That's, if I'm not mistaken, Kevin Peterson's highest first class score. And that came two, up last week. Two runs shy of Bobby Abel's all-time Surrey record of 3-5-7. Bobby Abel, who's the great-great-great-grandfather of a listener to the final word, Alex Abel. Fantastic. And what a Isn't great man Bobby Abel was, and he is. He's an all-time Surrey legend. But that was the day that KP was due to meet Andrew Strauss mm. to talk about his future. And in classic KP fashion, with albeit a short boundary to the Hollywood Road End, he, in a last week at was Partnership, it was not done. I thought we said it was 3.26 last week. 3.55, I'm okay. pretty sure, is what he got. Yeah. Well, I think not out because Matt Dunn was out the other end. I think. Yeah, you're right. It was three fifty five. I remember it, but I don't know yeah. why last week we thought three twenty six was no. Kevin Peterson. We definitely talked about that innings last week. Yeah, and we I, were wrong. We must have been. We wrong, must have I'm sure. In, I'm sure in my head because three fifty five would have jumped out of this as Lily. As soon as you said that, that's what my brain's saying. Anyway. Yeah, and I, I just want to note that Christopher Barrett, Chris Barrett, has been a great supporter of ours for a long time. He was the Australian Australian uh, ambassador to the OECD for a few years, and before that, he was my chief of oh, staff. That's so. the uh, the dictionary, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Uh, no, no, he's, he's, uh, he's been great. So thanks, Barrett, for looking after us. 
so we can go DK Lily or we can go um, it's um, I think we've also it's, it's, it's Joe Angel's cap number actually I remember from wow. a previous episode <laughs> anyway um, something stay with you uh, David Kaufman 167 Oh, no, 167. This is going to be great. There's Robin Smith's highest one-day international score, and it was England's highest ODI score. 93? Hales beat it. I want to say 93. It was against Australia, wasn't it, before the Test matches, Robin Smith? that's right. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And Alex Hales surpassed it against Pakistan, I think. Mm -hmm. And then Jason Roy. Remember, you were calling that game at the Oval. Yeah, that's right. I remember. It's also, funnily enough, Adam... Something you just mentioned earlier. Uh, oh, 167. Well, not quite the one you mentioned earlier, but a different variation of the one you mentioned earlier. Oh, the 167 in, uh, yes. ni- in 1999? In 2000, uh, yes. yeah. yeah. The, the fourth innings, 167 out of India's mm-hmm. fuck all, really. He nearly bannermaned it. Yeah. Um, that was that day. And that's when everyone... That's when people, he kind of arrived, wasn't it? He made yeah. a few half centuries against Australia in 98, but it was that... Mm-hmm. innings to win the series. It's also, as I quickly scan through, the amount of wickets taken in Test cricket by one Monty Panesar. Wow. Yeah. Just the same wicket 167 times, as yeah. Shane Warren might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. if Monty Panesar and Monty Noble got together and just had a Montoff. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, tend to, I don't know quite why he didn't respond to Shane Warren by saying, Shane, um, you have criticised me, not 167 different times, <laughs> but the same way, 167 times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David Kaufman. For Thanks, David. Ben Gelvin, 149. Ian Botham, Headingley, 1981, 149, not out. Adam Gilchrist, 149, not out. Uh, Hobart, 1999. Um, you're probably, you've probably always thought, because you're, you're like me, you've got a bit of a problem, you would have always thought, fuck, I wish I got 150, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've, I've had the same thing about Gilchrist at Hobart. And the reason it frustrates me is that, I think I remember this correctly, he was on 148 and hits a boundary, but... Because they crossed before the ball ran into the rope, he gets credited with oh, one run, not four. No. I reckon they fixed that since then. I reckon that was something that was a thing and is no longer a thing. Because now you've got to get to the other end now, haven't you? Yeah, you've I think I, they, they've, done, they've done something yeah. to make that less of a problem yeah. in the laws of the game. But at the time, so Gilchrist should have finished on 152, mm-hmm. but instead he gets the one completed run. And that came up again in Hobart a couple of years after that in 2001 in a one-day international between Australia and Zimbabwe, Brad Haddon's debut, as it happens. I don't know why I remember that. But Mark Wall was batting at the end on about 98 or 99, and they made a point of him not running... And, and crossing halfway in order to get the ball to the rope to get his century. Well, it actually matters now because with this ridiculous net run rate rule, um, if, you're, if you're smart in the group stages, you hit a six off the last ball, you try and make sure that you get a or, or a four, you know. You yep, try to yep. make sure you get those runs because your net run rate is not you going just past it. It's your total score. Right. Score, of course so it, it is. can be vital. I see. Uh, well, so two one four nines that you and I are bang on yeah. straight away. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with both of them, given it was during the Ashes. I think that's probably yep. what was happening. Not uh, even his best innings that month. George no. George has thrown in a great number that we had last week, which <laughs> was fantastic. We had a lot of fun with one hundred and two last week. I think the standout oh, yes. was that Sally Malik made one hundred and two on four occasions. <laughs> Sally Malik checks in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> How many wickets did George Lowman take? Oh, you're so good. Let me check. Hang I'm on. I'm not sure, but it four year. You sound like you're doing the goon show. Yeah, suddenly, yeah. <laughs> I think I heard you, Henry. 
It's something of that sort. Yeah. It's low 100s. It's 112. Hey, 112. You're pretty close, though. It's the one in the middle. So what's the number again? 102. 102. So 102 in terms of cap numbers, if we were curious. A bloke called Christopher Heseltun, who played two test matches for England in 1896. It won't be him. The 102nd... Australian test player was Sid Emery, who played four tests in 1912. So neither have really had pres- pre- pre- no. prestigious prestige. But there were a lot of great 102s. There was Gowers, 102. Um, there yeah. were all of the Selim Malik 102s. There was Aravinda de Silva's Ooh. 102. But there, I think there were 122, 102s. Really? So there are a lot to choose from. Yeah. Um, and Zoltzman's stat last week that it's the, it's the, the, the it's, gap. It's the, it's the lowest, highest score for a batsman with multiple hundreds. So if you've made two hundreds, and there's a series made. of players that have made two hundreds in Test cricket, yep. the lowest score. highest score is one hundred and two. Results gave us that last there week. Two players whose highest score is one hundred and two, or even though they have multiple tons, Peter Willey. Yeah, Peter Willey. Um, okay, it's Peter Willey. We overlooked Peter Willey last week, so we yeah, guess the Guernsey. Give him a Guernsey. Yeah. Um, last you, one. Thank you, George. And yeah, last one for today. Uh, Praveen Gorajala, two zero six. Thanks, Praveen. He's been great to us, uh, supporting what we do. Uh, two hundred six. Well. Uh, it, well, we've had it before, I think. Uh, well, we, we know it's Brad Hodges. Well, there are options because yeah, yeah, it is Brad Hodges. Brad Hodge, double hundred. Uh, it's what Ravi Shastri made in uh, Shane uh, Warne's debut. Yes, it is. I remember those two. Oh, there's another one as well we came up with last time. Um, Chay has got a 206. Chay Pajara's got one, but the one that Daniel's going to remember fondly from sitting on the test match sofa couch, although I don't think the sofa had quite started Existed by then. the time this innings had no. been played. Well, yeah. it, it, let's, let's go through a few clues. It's a test match at Adelaide, Adelaide, at Adelaide that well, England couldn't have lost. Paul Collingwood. Indeed, Paul yeah. Collingwood. I was going to set it up better than that. Adelaide gave it away, yeah. but yes. Yeah, the, my, my sofa started uh, for the, in 2009, so I just missed out on that. Where did Len Hutton make his 206? Oh, I don't know. I want to say... You've got Len Hutton stuff in your head a long way back, don't you? Yeah, I like a lot of Len Hutton stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of his body of work The Great Sir Leonard <laughs> As he has to be called And then you have to genuflect When you say it And do that in a Yorkshire accent The Great Sir Leonard um, I don't know Where did he get 206? I know that he did Because I looked it up earlier But Where did he get 206? Um, Bridge? 206 E I can't see it no, so I know where he got it pre-war. Where did he got it Jeff? Where did he got it? Where did he got it? Where did he got it? He got it He got it at the place we've just been He got it at the Oval the place that's missing a vowel. <laughs> he got it at Embargo. No, he got it at the Oval. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he did get it at the Oval in how many runs 1949. Instances of things occurring at the Oval. I feel like that's scores jabbed me and Dad. It's your it's your hitting zone, isn't it? You, you know more about the Oval than probably anyone. You should really. I know that book that Wisdom did a couple of years ago did a great yeah. job of cataloguing this. But yeah, I could have a look at a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some great double hundreds at the Oval. Amos, Viv Richards. What's the best innings you've seen at the Oval? Because people talk about Gowers when he was on the way at the door and made that. I think was his last Test hundred. Actually, 100? my favourite. My favourite. Wade. Innings, my favourite innings. It was partly because I was 16 and, a, and I was probably more jingoistic and nationalistic at the time. Uh, it was a 1985 Ashes. Dirk Wellham? And, uh, well, it's a bit of Dirk Wellham, but no, <laughs> um, that wasn't what I was thinking. Dirk Bogart? It was a partnership between Gooch and Gower. I want to say it was of about 357 for the second wicket. Uh, Gooch made 196. 
Gower did make 157, I think. And yeah. that innings was because it meant that Australia couldn't win the game. So England effectively regained the ashes on day one by being 360 mm. odd for one. It mm. was absolutely startling to watch. Brilliant innings from Gower. Len Hutton at the Oval, 12 matches, 19 innings, four centuries, five fifties. Uh, 1,521 runs at an average of 89. As you Not do. shabby. As you do. As you do. Dan Norcross, Obviously, thank Shane you. Watson at the Oval is the best innings I've seen. Steve Smith's Oval. first 100 there as well. No, Watto. You know. Watto. Simon uh, Kerrigan versus Watto, the grudge match. Did Dirk Wallop not have his debut there in it was 1981? His, and I believe he was dropped. Oh, sorry, no, no. I, I meant 81 when I said yeah, 85. He was he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's debut. He's one of the it's 20 it. Australian men who made 100 on debut. There's some really quirky ones in there. Mm-hmm. Several times I've said to publishers, I want to write a book about that. And several times mm-hmm. they've said to me, that's not a very good idea. But I, <laughs> I truly think it is a good idea. There's there's one thing in common between players like Mark Warren, Greg Chappell, and Archie Jackson, and greats of the game, and, 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 and of course, uh, the great Blewett. Charles Bannerman, and then players mm-hmm. like Greg Blewett, and Marcus North, and Sean Marsh, and Dirk Wellham and Gary Cozier who had less significant careers taken as a whole exactly. but anyway maybe if you're listening to this and you're a, you're a publisher and you want to commission me to write say 20 essays about 20 players that made 20 hundreds then I'm at your disposal or maybe Jeff and I will do 10 each maybe yeah. Dan we can do them between us sure. seven yeah. and a half each yeah. seven and a half each that said you know will be over by of, one half what is all this talk of work you have been working your absolute tits off for the last <laughs> four months and, and I've not been too far I've done 91 days at cricket this summer shit what did we do? Oh, mm. God, it's going to be so a lot of So why are you days. trying to work again? Can't we no. just have like a two yeah. weeks off? On that, on that note, I have to put Jeff on the plane. I'm going to Greece for a week tomorrow. We'll have a final word which returns to the weekly format. There'll be, um, you know, roughly one a week, roughly four a month through October, November. I'm back in November. Live show on the 27th. There'll also be a live show in Melbourne. We'll reveal the date of that on the next show. We're um, also nearly at Laxman on the Patreon page. We want to get to 281 to get the Avivius Laxman number. I think we're on 274 at Get the us moment. over the line. So sign up on the Patreon page if you want to try to keep us going for the next few months now that all the dailies and the, uh, all that stuff has ended. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash the final word. Bunch of thank yous. First of all, thank you again to everyone who was so kind about the, the finale of the Daily Show. That was lovely on social media uh, over the 24 hours that followed that. We had a ball doing them, roughly 80 all told, between the World Cup, the Women's Ashes and the Ashes. It was a thrill to be on the ground every night and doing our thing. Thanks to Sat Phone Shop for supporting what we're doing at the moment with the weekly show. If you want to be part of the weekly show with us um, through, I guess, the spring and the Australian summer and the English winter, now's a good time to drop us a line at finalwordcricket at gmail.com, finalwordcricket.gmail.com, at gmail.com rather. We'll uh, put you in touch with both Jeff and I. If you want to work with us and partner with us now, we're looking at um, what comes next on that front. Um, The live show's on the 27th. The iTunes ratings and reviews of been phenomenal thank you so much if you're a regular listener to us and you can spare five minutes to drop a little five stars and say a few nice words that helps considerably with the algorithm it's why we're doing so well on the charts i just wanted to be better than my uber rating because i finally yeah. worked out how to check that and i was yeah. like come on my, mine's I'm quite a good i'm a good rating? it's like 4.6 or something i was like i don't 4.6? make people wait i'm not it's, this means guys it, on tinder put their I'm uber nice. ratings to reflect what a nice i've i've read this they, they put their <laughs> uber rating to show what nice blokes they yeah, are their uber rating and their height their height, yeah, yeah. Uber rating height and their, yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Fair, uh, fair to say if it's 3.5 and 5 foot 6, they don't probably put them on. That's true. But we have got a... Um, we have uh, we have been sort of consistently either one or two. We've been back and forth with great cricketer on the number one spot on Australian Cricket Podcast, which is lovely. We're, we're number two. We're going to We're going to murder num- them. We're going to... No, we're not. We're going to cut the brake lines on their car. It's, it's a collaborative it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna We go, work together. It's going to go... <laughs> when they're on a ski trip, watch out when you're on your next ski trip, fellas. 
There's saying strange things can happen. That's all I'm saying. This is an episode of Midsummer Murders I would love to see. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. different members of different podcast teams get bumped off in unusual. And, 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 and Ian Higgins would <laughs> He goes would survive. I reckon he'd be the last one standing. Yeah. And, and then my favourite murder has to do an episode about all the podcast deaths, and then they're murdered while they're doing the episode. So that's oh, the Australian so charts. We're also number two on the English cricket charts at the moment, which is ridiculous and amazing. So thanks to that, India, likewise, a bunch of other countries around the world where people have been getting behind our show uh, in weird and wonderful ways. That's awesome. The Seabus T-shirts from the, the Daily Show, uh, we haven't forgotten about that. It's just going to take a long time for us to pull it together. A great problem to have between now and the next weekly show. We'll take care of that. Um, I think that's just about all the that's thank it. yous, Jeff. And, and last but not least, uh, thanks to um, uh, Dan Norcross and, and, and Cameron Fink for being such a massive part of our adventure over the last four months. Jeff, you started here in April when you were receiving the gong for the, the Wisdom and the MCC Book of the Year for Steve Smith Men. And you're still here uh, nearly five months later or whatever it is, having put together an amazing body of work again. Um, thanks to you for being such a loyal ally on this podcast every day. Um, I think we're, we're still um, getting better at what we do and we love doing this and we love the audience that we've built up um, through this amazing English summer. Um, so w- with that all said, thanks for everyone for being part of the final word. It's uh, enjoy one of the great one of the great things for having this summer. So, yeah, thank you to everyone for keeping us company. And, and uh, enjoy a, a little bit of a break from us. You won't hear from us for about nine or ten days and we'll be back with a, another weekly show then. Until then, thanks so much. Talk soon. Happy summer. Happy summer.